think like in the US, and I know they all pay more, the ARPU is much higher. We haven't even talked about the national security side of it. Well, I was about to get onto that, but we keep fucking off on tangents, don't we? (laughs) Um, I know the ARPU's higher in the States, but it doesn't seem to have been disastrous for Sprint to be taken out of the equation in the States. Well, I tell you now, the ARPU situation in the States, I didn't realise how expensive phone plans were in the States until... Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast, a rare one with just me and Ian and Pierre, of course. Feels uh, weird with you sitting... Sitting opposite and not, not to your to your two o'clock or whatever. Instead of which I've got a, a case of beer sitting next Well, to exactly. It, it's, do you remember that, that bitchy have I got news for you where some fat politician didn't turn it was up? Boris Johnson? No, I think was it, it was someone like... There's more than Tom, one. Tom Watson, all right. Some, I think he was a Labour guy. Who, he's now actually who, quite slim. Yeah, but yeah, he's like famous. He, he found <laughs> yeah, some diet and then just lost about ten stone. Yeah, literally. But I think at that time he was still didn't yeah. mind a burger. Um, and anyway, he didn't turn up, so they just put a tub of lard <laughs> there, which is such a. So this is I'm I'm replaced by a uh, yeti Cans full of, of Camden full of brew, a hazy you like that, I think that's fine. I that's but, I, I don't mind being subbed in for that. But I am also here. Yay! Um, so yeah, so we just get to talk our usual shit, mm-hmm. and just so just in case I forget to say, it, we won't have one next week because uh, Ian and Pierre are going to be in the states at what's it, the big five G fest. Big 5G yeah. event in Austin. Right. Oh, little shameless plug here. Shame, by all means, shameless plug. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obviously run by us, collectively. I mean, uh, I mean, we could do it, but we'd be very tired. You'd be tired, and we'd have to do it remotely. we get and... off the flight. Well, i get off the flight on Friday morning. Oh, right. No, no, we're, we're fine. So fine. Oh, we're on the same flight, probably. Yeah. Are you coming back on, on yeah. Thursday? Yeah. Oh, Phil told me you were coming back on Wednesday. Okay, that's good. No, no. No, you normally yeah. bail a bit early. Yeah. Don't stay to the bitter end. Yeah, excellent. Um... Well, we could do it. I mean, if you if you guys suddenly change your mind and you're jet lagged and you're just up for it on Friday, then let me know. But I'm assuming we're not doing one next Friday because yeah. of all this travel that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is there? I've just I just had a, a nice lunch with a UK BSS company called Lifecycle. What did so you eat for lunch? We went over the road. In fact, I'll, I'll get onto that. You know, the hotel opposite where we've yeah. been a few times. But shout out to Mo and Kelvin. And also in attendance was podcast veteran Elena, the charming Elena. All right, Elena, as again. Um, I told her, I remind her we've still got her diet G&Ts like two or three years down the line. Um, yeah, I'll prove it. Look, here they are, What's Elena. The, is there the expiration date? <laughs> uh, what is the expiration date on it? Let's see. Well, we're going to have to drink it at some point because... Oh, no, 12.22. Oh, God, really? <laughs> now we're just keeping them here as, as, just, sort of, they are. as a just sort of reminder for Elena. I didn't think they were that old. I thought she, she was on like a year ago or something. Which, or no, no, it was, it was definitely the old studio. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we brought those over from the old studio. Yeah. I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. And then the other one we've done with Elena was remote, remember? At Christmas, we did the right. Christmas um, quiz. Okay. When we were all wearing silly... Head garments. Yes. Okay. I wonder what expired GNT tastes like. I don't want to try it now. It but. can't be much fucking worse than <laughs> when it's fresh. I mean, well, I was just, I was talking about it over lunch. I was going, the problem is they're only 5%. If you make yourself a GNT at home, it's at least 10% in it. It's probably, most people are looking at a quarter to three quarters or maybe even a third to two thirds if they make a GNT. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Don't you do that? 
I don't I, drink gin. You don't drink gin. I usually have a third gin. All right, well, when you're making a perno or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you drink over there. He only drinks pale ale. Yeah. Oh, he drinks wine. I drink tequila, actually, with us. Uh, there you are. Yeah. Just, just tequila with us. You don't even like make a margarita or something? No. Proper quality oh. I'll make tequila. A, I'll make a mean margarita. Ooh. Just with fresh limes and, and sugar syrup. Nice. Oh. Um, yeah, like one, one, uh, yeah, one one of those now. Should we go to a cocktail bar instead of doing this? <laughs> um, it's tempting, isn't it? It is. I tell you, I, I make frozen margaritas in the summer and they're especially nice. Basically, adult slush puppies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I like that. So they're good. Do you so, know what a redneck margarita is? No. Is vodka and Mountain Dew. <laughs> Mountain Dew. This is, this is why you should be coming to Austin. So I can have some Mountain Dew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, we can have that beer again, the McConaughey's, that has nothing yeah. to do with Matthew McConaughey. It has to be. It does, though. Yeah, it must, yeah. It does. Yeah, no, yeah. You, well, some barman told you it doesn't have anything to do with him, and then but another he... barman corrected him and said it is. It's his beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It has to be. He's from there, he's from there originally, yeah. He's no, Texan, isn't he? He's, he's from uh, the, where they had the shooting. I forget the name. Yeah. Alan. This doesn't narrow it down in the States much these days. Oh. Too soon. Alan. Yeah. Alan. Is no, 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 no. It ends in O. I forget. Ah. Okay. Um, anyway, well, uh, let me get it so that people screaming at the mic. Yeah, okay. You look that up. Uh, anyway, it was how do you spell that name? It's crazy. McConaughey. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Uvalde. Sorry, nothing to do with. Oh, uh, yeah. Uvalde. Um, right. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say. <laughs> oh yeah, about so went meal over the road. Perhaps I won't be so much of a dick as to name the place. Um, but it's a place we've been a few times before. It's never that amazing. And it was fine this time. I had a steak and it was decent. But there was one funny little thing. Well, there were a couple of couple of little quirks. They brought two steaks. Me and Mo both had a steak. And he wanted his medium rare and I wanted my medium. And, and the waiter didn't have a Scooby, which was which, when we brought them over. And so he went off to sort of work it out. And then we just had a little look and saw which one looked slightly more cooked. And I had that. Yeah. But then um, Elena ordered a salad. And then at the 11th hour, they came over and went, we haven't got any salad. Just full stop. And she was like, what? You got no I salad? You have salad at a you restaurant. Know, call yourself a fucking restaurant. She didn't say that, sure but she should have. Quite early in the um, day. And, and then she went, all right, and bring the menu over. And she ordered uh, some fish, um, uh, which I don't think she fancied that much. But then she was looking over and there were quite a few sort of ladies who lunch in there. And they were all eating salads. And she and she was sitting there going to us, what's that all about? And how come there's enough salad for them, but not for me? Or she would say if she had more of a London accent than she does. She sounded a bit posher when she's saying it. Um, <laughs> Xi Jinping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, did someone inquire? Uh, well, eventually someone came over. They probably heard her sitting there going, I've got a right hump about this. <laughs> um, and, um, and they came over and explained that what had happened was at the precise moment that she ordered a salad, they didn't have any. And then they sent someone up to Tesco's to buy a bunch of salad. And that's how come these other people have got salads and she hasn't. And she was like, all oh, right. It's quite good seeing see Elena have us because Elena's always so sort of smiley and easy going. She had a slightly... What they could have I've got the arsehole. So they were sending someone out to Tesco's to order a salad, if you mind waiting a few minutes. Yeah. Well, I suppose that then the last bit of the sort of fourth wall... Um, would have yeah. been removed. It's like we might as well just go to fucking Tesco's. Yeah. Um, yeah. Strange. So anyway, yeah. so there I was that. They don't get their salads from Tesco's normally down the road. Well, it's just a it's just a weird supply chain failure. Yeah. Does not have There's any salads. A lot of those going on at the moment, Scott, especially in the telecom industry. 
Well, indeed. So maybe maybe that will that's my prompt to stop Segway. talking about Segway. Well, what random the, irrelevant um, shit. What's this company? What does the company do? Lifestyle. Well, I've, Lifestyle is that right? Life cycle. Life cycle. Sorry. BSS billing, that sort of thing. I've spoken to them before about their relationships with MVNOs. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things they do is facilitate MVNOs. And I don't want to, you know, it's, it's one of those lunches where I said I wasn't going to repeat anything, so I'm not even going to name who their MVNO partners is because I don't want to speak out of turn. Mm-hmm. But they're cool, a U- UK company. Um, and we were just chatting about all sorts of stuff. But, you know, they, they're obviously, these days, anyone who's sort of prepared to make the effort to meet up and, and obviously buy me lunch. Uh, and yeah. you know, and the reason we were where we were is because I said the only way I can meet up with you because I'm lazy and I won't come into town just for lunch <laughs> is is if we have lunch before I do the pod when I come in on Thursday. And they had to change that because the reason we're doing this pod a day early is because the goddamn train strikes tomorrow. Yeah. I can't believe they're still striking. It's like being in the seventies, isn't it? It just goes on and on. It's like the rain. Yeah. Oh, I can't stand it anymore. A lot of rain going on. There's. I left the house and it was sunny, mm. and then I got here and I was soaked. We've had a spate of those days where you go, oh, look, and Lovely. then you step out the house and get pissed on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, apparently it's like that in Austin as well. Is it? Thunderstorms mm-hmm. is the main force. Well, you, yeah, in, in, the, in the States, in places like Texas, you'll get more dramatic weather, won't you? Yeah. They do everything that bigger sound, That doesn't sound there. good. Um, you get, like, guns and stakes falling out. Luckily, the luckily, we'll be inside a warehouse most of the time, so we'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> so there we are. Is there going to be ping pong in the evening table tennis like there was last time, remember? Uh, I don't with know. With that guy who was really into it with his tongue sort of sticking down the side <laughs> of his mouth. That's <laughs> not a great look. Was that him concentrating on the table tennis? He was tennis? just applying, yeah. applying himself. Was he as good as Ray? Ray's pretty handy at table he tennis. He thought he was very good because he could obviously hit the ball with a little bit of topspin. Right. But I, I don't think he was that. Do you know who has been getting good again recently? Paul Our very own Paul Rainford. Right. Likes, has been playing with people who were sort of highly ranked recently. Is it? Yeah, he was always pretty handy though, wasn't he? But he's he got was, a bit more into it. He was a it. national level player as a youngster. But, and then he's, when I've, when we arranged the Eurobyte Summit thing and we had table tennis involved, he was like, oh, I don't want to do it because everybody, I've mentioned it a few times, everybody want to play against me and I'm rubbish these days. But right. he's been, he's been, playing with guys who are like top sort of 200 or something. Wow. So, Damn. I remember yeah, playing yeah. against Pierre and getting whooped by him. Yeah. Um, so what Paul would have done to me it just would have been well he'd be, he'd be better now than he would have been a yeah, couple yeah. of years ago I think so because he, he says he's found his mojo again a bit been training and yeah. table tennis, been in training yeah, been, been practicing just picking training. picturing a sort sounds, of sounds rocky like montage a... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well he runs up to the table tennis and he's like chopping I'll have, a... I'll have to tell him to listen to this one because I, I don't think he watches the podcast he's like chopping a tree and making a yeah, yeah, from exactly. the tree yeah, yeah. Exactly, because he's doing it old school. He doesn't need no gym. <laughs> he just goes into the woods. No, I'm making he make his own paddle, you know, from the, from yeah. the tree. <laughs> just nutting a tree until it turns into woods. a paddle. And the handle is like the Thor hammer, you know, like... Yeah. Old, yeah, anyway. Um, cool, okay. Uh, right. Oh, we're bowling this year, apparently. I just asked. In Austin? Yeah. I'm going to remember this. Okay. Every time you hassle me for going off too many tangents, I'm going to remember you interrupting me while I'm trying to get things on track. Um, but enjoy your bowling and all that and try and get a Rogan's thing. Or at least or at least get a picture on the outside of it. Yeah, we'll probably do what we did last year and walk past it and go, mm. oh, it's Joe Rogan's thing. There's like a, a staff, like the staff is doing stand-up at seven on the Monday night. Ten right. bucks a ticket. Oh, okay. okay, so that'll be like more up and coming open mic yeah, type yeah. people. Well, I mean, if if you take it at face value, which I do, and his podcast, <sighs> the reason he's created this thing is because he's just is a 
a massive fan of comedy and just wants to create as many opportunities as possible. I suppose there, are, you know, there are a lot of people who, who um, maybe just need a bit of a leg up into comedy. I mean, I've never and wrestling, wrestling, Joe Rogan, no. MMA. Mixed martial MMA. Have you seen there's a comedy film called Here Comes the Boom that he's in? I've heard of it, yeah, yeah. It's got Kevin James. Because he's mates with Kevin James. Yeah, so Kevin James is a school teacher who has to... um, The school falls on hard times. They're about to close down the music department, which is run by the Fonz. What's his name? Henry Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler. So to make some money, he decides to go, as you do, go into MMA. Right. And um, as an amateur, but works his way up and... um, I think he's a he's like a promoter in it, Joe Rogan. Oh, right, he's not playing himself. Yeah, he's, I think he's playing himself. Because no, no, like no, Joe no. Rogan has a promoter. Because because promo- no. Joe Rogan in real life is is a commentator, and he yeah, gets in yeah, the ring sure after going, sure how did it feel I'm beating sure the shit out of that bloke? So anyway, he's in it. Um, um, yeah, yeah, no, he's, it's, he's, it's, he my, gets my into son, all sorts of stuff. My youngest son loves that film. He thinks it's hilarious. Cool. It's, it's a lot of slapstick humour in it, as you can imagine, with Kevin James in a MMA ring Ooh. cage or whatever they call it. Indeed. Pretty bloody nasty, actually. Oh, it's, I've it's a hardcore sport. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, okay, that's enough shit spoken for one yeah. episode, I think. That's very little to do with telecom. Oh, you're right, he does play himself. I stand corrected. Uh-huh, there we go. Um, this week, so it hasn't been a ton of news this week, but we have had some quarterlies, and, and we think, um, yeah... Three's come out, but the interesting thing, I mean, telecoms quarterlies, to be fair, are generally a bit dull, aren't they? They can be. Like, I'm really happy uh, for for Nick and Mary to write up telecoms quarterlies. Do you know what, do you know what I try and do usually is um, find something that was said on the call that's that's interesting or some 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 something that sticks out. And I'm so pleased you said that because that's the direction I'm planning to go that in. They, that they, ha- they have. Yeah, exactly. Right. Rather than well, they, you can't, you can't rather than their revenues are up two percent. Because, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Unless, unless they have one of those one-offs where it really cocks them up for a, a couple of quarters, that, then you can maybe draw attention yeah. to that. But um, or they really, or they really drop the ball, or like. I mean, one of the things with Deutsche Telekom today, which I wrote, that was interesting, was their net profit was up massively because they basically flogged their towers business. That's right. And, so that doesn't really um, count as. It, it doesn't count, but, but, then profit, it, it? but then it gives you an opportunity to, to look a, a little bit at that deal and whether it was yeah. a sensible move. Because it's, it's made a big impact on net debt, for instance, which has always been a, an issue for European operators. Certainly but, has. but then you talk to people in the industry behind the scenes and they're like, hmm, this selling towers, I'm not so sure, yeah. some of them. They're like, you're sort of losing control of an asset there. We talked about this in the pod, you know, yeah. it's like... You're basically going from being a landlord to a renter, you know, exactly, and uh, landlord to a tenant. And, and and if those, who knows, maybe one time those private equity owners might decide to grind up all the steel and concrete and flog it for raw materials, and then you don't have your towers anymore. Very unlikely. Well, but know, even if but, they don't, the, the move um, from landlord to tenant is ultimately a short-termist move because the the total amount that you will end up paying over, let's say, I don't know, a twenty-year period, yeah. in in rent, yeah. Um, well, obviously, will probably exceed what you've got. I mean, you've obviously got capital costs and all that yeah. with, with those things. But yeah, it's um, it, 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 the thing is that they deny that they're losing control of something strategically important these days. But if you were to ask them this question twenty years yeah, ago, they're gone. There's no way we're selling our towers. Yeah, that's, can, that's a strategically important asset. How can towers not be strategically important? Yeah. I mean, that's what they do. They stick radios on top of towers. Do you know what my prediction is that happens next? They sell the active equipment on the towers. Right. So you're talking about like the Ericsson, Nokia, the Huawei kits, yeah. They sell that so and 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 lease that off someone, and then that's yeah. So you have with this is one of the actual attractions of Open RAN. The Open RAN makes it easier to have single a single set of hardware 
and run multiple software layers over it. Right. So you could have, for instance, Orange say, this isn't happening, but let's say Orange is using Mavenir software on top of common off-the-shelf equipment. Yep. And next to that, on the same set of equipment, you've got Vodafone running a Nokia system. Yeah. And it's all it's all owned, let's say, by someone like Cellnex, the actual infrastructure. They've they've not only not only owning the passive equipment, they're owning the active equipment as well. That's my prediction. And then they ultimately have enormous economies of scale with you, which to You bargain. heard it here first. Yeah, yeah. No, Actually, I think a little bit of it's happening already, but it hasn't become like a big trend yet. But I think I can see. Yeah, well, happening. I suppose, and we will get into this because I think this is this affects the the segment that we're going to talk about or something you covered this week. But yeah, you know, I do understand that. You know, we've touched on it a lot and we got a bit more into it with uh, when Neil McRae was here. You know, I do understand the the philosophy behind VRAN, the philosophy behind virtualization in general, which is, you know, which is ultimate flexibility yeah. um, and, and scalability and everything's in the cloud and you can just fuck about with it to your heart's content. And yeah. I can see how that would lend itself to your prediction you just made. Well, I, I buy into that as one of the sort of benefits but I yeah. think it ma- raises massive questions for the telco business model if they're giving up that asset as well and then you have one set of hardware I mean for a start what does it mean for companies that make a lot of money from hardware sales you know that you've yeah. got it's, it's a move towards ultimately perhaps having what um, you know we had Tom Bennett talking about uh, recently a ca- sort of carrier neutral yes neutral host a neutral host you know something like they have in um, Malaysia you know, that, that controversial yeah, thing yeah. with the Ericsson Huawei, uh, Ericsson which, which Huawei situation. Which just went so ballistic for us. But you could have like NBN-type companies that are just one one set of towers, one set of... Yeah, the difference being it could it could just end up being private rather than state-run. Yeah. And then, then that, will, yeah. that will yield, you know, which is going to be relevant to what we're going to talk about in a sec, sort of national security concerns. Yeah. Um, so let's get let's get into that. I keep alluding to it. So... So back to your point about um, operate quarterlies are boring unless you highlight a particular thing said within them. I completely agree. Um, just to emphasise, so this is three. Um, their revenue was up 5%. Whoopee. 5%? Yeah. but That's, still, that's actually quite a good increase. That's right, but it's still less than inflation. So yeah, wh- whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and there's not that much to say about it, you know. They... See, when they do, you know, they do organic uh, compared to reported. All organic does is strip out, as far as I'm aware, currency, currency yeah. and like acquisition stuff, one-offs. Yeah, but it doesn't take into account things like inflation, does it? No, so you just have to so, do that maths in your head. But we know for the past year, it's been about ten percent in the UK. So, yeah, and that's where they are. Yeah, it? they're not anywhere else. Well, well, I know they this have is three UK that they're talking it, about. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, um, so there's that. Okay, well done. You know, it's maybe they've done a... then in real terms. It is, yeah. Um, but then everyone is. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Who else did we write up? I think we might have done. Um, just refresh. Might have done DT. But then DT's got some exceptions. DT's stuff. was um, up zero point seven percent or something. You really. covered them, did you? I did. Okay. Um, so, I mean, yeah. their, their net profit, as we were just talking about, was up because of this one-off towers. Uh, their towers. But if you look at uh, earnings, uh, I mean, their earnings thing now, it's become ridiculous the way telcos report earnings. It's earnings before interest, oh, God, tax, yeah. depreciation and amortisation um, after leases. And then I mean, you... What the hell is... And then so you get some people who go... Um, what is it? And, and, that, and it's gap adjusted and as well. Gap. And it's adjusted. And there's now gap and non-gap. Which GAP stands for Generally Generally Accepted Accounting yeah. Practice, which is, I think, a f- pretty vague 
concept by so generally acceptable well, by who? Well, I don't accept it. But but if it's non gap, it generally, it yeah. Is. But if it's non gap, who accepts that? Well, quite. That's, this is unacceptable. It's also <laughs> this weird. is the acceptable version. But the whole point of quarterlies version. and accounting is supposed to be that you're dealing with numbers, and it's and it, these are absolutes. But there's yeah, there's so much vagueness and hedging and fudging and fucking about. Um, but they didn't presumably going back to three with their five percent increase. Yeah, they didn't. They, I'm guessing they didn't report earnings. Um, so this was more of a trading update rather than an actual set of full results. Well, it's, it seems it's got all the stuff like margin and has it. Oh. Arpu Ampu. What's Ampu? Average margin per user. Oh, okay. It's a me- I think it's a bit of a meaningless uh, right. metric because how do you what what are you taking out then? There's so many costs. Is mm. that is that like net profit divided by um by customers? I suspect not. So their so, so their net ARPU was thirteen pounds five P and their net Ampu was eleven pound twenty. So, so it's obviously not net so there's, profit. There's one pound thirty five's worth of Something or other, but there's a lot of net cost. There's off. obviously a lot of costs they're not taking out when they figure when they calculate that ampu figure. Then, yeah, because their margins aren't that high, are they? So, yeah, exactly. Are they because that I mean? that points to it's, something in the region of an eighty five percent margin, which is obviously so, bollocks because so they've got total margin at the top and it's seven percent. So, what, so that doesn't make any sense to me. That ampu, no, that ampu stat's just nonsense. I think it I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me either. Um, so they did. They did report a full set. Then they, they actually reported net profit and mar- margins and all yeah, this. Yeah, well, we, we've got. Um, yeah. So, so did their did their operating margin? Nick wrote it, and he Go even on. extracted a couple of slides from a Hutchison um, thing, because he talked about Hutchison in general as well. How, how weird! Because this is Q one. I thought yeah. Hutchison only only did this sort of every half year, a bit like Vodafone does. But right, I stand corrected. Yeah. Well, I I, I didn't know. I, I don't know enough to correct to agree or disagree with you. Um, but there we are. So, you know, they're done all right, but, you know, less than flat um, when adjusted for inflation. But anyway, the thing I wanted to flag up about it is um, he goes, yeah, we did all right, whatever, the usual generic stuff. Um, this was from uh, the UK CEO, Robert Finnegan. And then he goes, however, our returns remain below the cost of capital. Oh, like that's someone else's problem. To which I say, Robert, that sounds like a you problem. (laughs) (laughs) But he's saying it as if it's something that needs addressing by the broader world. He goes, however, our returns are very low cost of capital. I hope you're happy. Yeah, we can't Uh, make any money. Yeah, yeah. So it's up to you to do something about it. Connectivity is crucial to how we live. See, so then he starts expanding it and going, look, we just want everyone to have a fucking phone, all right? We're not in for profit. We just want people to be connected. So connectivity is crucial to how we live and work. For the industry to continue investing in the UK's... Digital, so again, it's the UK. It's a collectivist thing. So this is this is an in-depth way of saying government for us a bone. Yeah. Um, connectivity is crucial to how we live and work. For the industry to continue investing in the UK's digital infrastructure, market structural change is needed. And by market structural change, he means let us merge with Vodafone. Right. I think. Yeah. I mean, what else does he mean? Well, that's yeah. That's this is what they've been pushing for, yeah, isn't yeah. it? For for a while now, it seems. So, yeah. but, but this this is an interesting deal, this Vodafone one, because it's still not actually been announced, has it? They mm. t- they did put out a statement. I remember ages ago. Yeah, they've announced talks, having a good old natter. But then the only inclination as to what it could be worth or how it would how it would be structured, I think, came from an FT right. um, scoop, didn't it? Where they were saying 
sources sources close to the matter have said or something that it would be worth 15 billion whatever that yeah is. and it seems to be generally assumed that the resulting company would be 51 percent owned by vodafone and 49 percent owned by oh right okay Virgin. but that that seems generous for three which is a fair bit smaller than vodafone isn't it in terms it's a of lot subscribers smaller. in terms I, I of revenue it was like hardly so here was a when i was talking to one of my u.s colleagues about this deal and trying to appear knowledgeable um on a sort of mini mini pod that we do right um, oh. you yeah. mean you, you mean you've been podcast unfaithful been, uh, to me I've, yeah i've been uh i've been cuckolded playing around on the podcast <laughs> you've been playing around <laughs> and, uh, dirty tart that you are and kelsey said why would why would vodafone want to buy so i said three's got quite a small market share in the uk compared with the other three operators i don't know what it is but it, it used to historically only be about 10 percent, and i'm, I'm yeah, not sure that, that would, much would, bigger than that now i would have guessed in the teens but right and so she said well why would they be interested in merging then why would they be interested in a, a big merger deal if it's only got 10 percent in the market and i right. thought good question kelsey but How sorry you- I, I don't understand i mean what, what do you mean? Why would they be interested? Why would they, why would they, what, what, what's in it for, you know, if you want to buy a company that's do, that does exactly the same thing as you yeah, and you're buying a company that's only got 2% in the market and it's structured. Well, it's just general a, consolidation, isn't it? The economies of scale, um, economies of re- getting rid of redundancy. It's just classic. Yeah, big, but big are there that many economies of scale to be gained from buying a subscale company? Well, so... Okay, so here's. Let me see. I've just googled market share mobile operators. I mean, to, to your point about this being presented as a oh, it's good for the market, it's good for the consumer, it's good for everybody else. Please help us. The way they've yeah. pitched this deal, both companies, has been very much about we need to improve the industry and re- improve return on capital employed in the industry. It's like we're doing a favour for everybody else and for the whole sector. You know, I'm sure that. The companies are, are, apparently are above this um, threshold, you know, where their cost of capital is below the, you know. Yeah, but well you don't hear email. They're not going to moan about it. They're, they're going to welcome it as well. But I'm just thinking specifically from a Vodafone perspective. Is all Vodafone gets out of this that they consolidate the market and therefore overall yeah, well, so, uh, overall returns improve for I everybody? Just, I just did a Google search. I mean, I probably should know this stuff off the top of my head if I was better at my job. But I, I don't think I'm, I think everyone who listens to this is under no illusions about how professional I am. Um, so I just Googled it and um, Statista has got some stuff that came up um, from 2018. So it's a bit old, but fuck it. We'll go with it. It says it says EE 28%, O2 26%, Vodafone 21%, 3 12%. Right. So all they're really saying is that now we can turn we can turn Vodafone and 3 into a company that's got a third of subscribers. Um, your Your point... So I don't know if that's what Kelsey was asking. If if she was if she was more interrogating the why is it good for the country, why is it good for the market? No, she was in- interrogating why is it good for Vodafone. Well, because it's better to have thirty three percent of the market than twenty one percent. I think it's simple as that, isn't it? Yeah, but I suppose I mean we we don't know about the fee and what Vodafone is yeah. paying or, or uh, if it's paying any. I mean it's a merger. So well, it's and a if it really is a fifty one forty nine thing, then Hutchison must be chucking some wedge in because they've got half. They've they've got twelve percent versus yeah. Um, well, as you said, that sounds bizarre given the mismatch in in terms of how. I think I think Kelsey's point was more about if, if Vodafone is going to be spending money on this. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't think they are spending. Yeah. In fact, you know. Then. Yeah, that's no, a good point. I mean, 
there's weird. I think there's weird. There's some logic which perhaps we don't understand. Perhaps we'd need to be equity analysts or or VCs or private equity people or whatever. But there's there's a sort of different kind of maths that happens with big public companies, and like you get these activist investors pushing for things which you. Th- which seem a little bit counterintuitive, but I think ultimately it is these um, it is these economies of scale and elimination of of duplication redundancies. It's just considered that. So it's job cuts. Yeah. <clears throat> Have they said anything about how many job cuts are expected no. across the two and, companies? And you wouldn't expect them to, would you? No, not this stage. So yeah, job cuts, efficiencies when it comes to buying kit, when it comes to. Yeah, um, you know the, the whole the whole um, capex side of things and opex and all that, and then their argument, you know, the, the reason you got people like this Finnegan from Three going on about inferring that the country would be better off if they let it happen, is the the pitch is always well because of all these efficiencies, we'll have more spare cash to spend on rolling it out, and they all know that the, the um, coverage has become a political hot potato yeah and like whenever we get a press release about how some fucking backwater in cornwall has now got a mobile phone um there'll always be a politician like my mate julia lopez jumping on it going yeah that just shows how much shit we're doing for this country so it it becomes all politicized yeah um and so they're basically saying that you you know this, this would be the argument um, I think we've had this debate. We certainly used to have this debate with Banks back in the day when he was when he was more sort of engaging with the media. I think have we had this debate with John Strand, probably I who mean, uh, watched the space. We're hoping to get him. John, John's very into the sort of four to three thing, and yeah. they produced some good good sort of papers on that before Strand consulted. That's I right. Think. Yeah. So I was right. So yeah. So but but one of the main arguments. You know, and and we covered this four to three a bit with um, Sean Ennis last week, didn't we? We did, yeah. Um, I'm getting to the age where I can't remember what conversations I had a week ago. And it was saying, at least you remember my keys. Oh, yeah, there's another little, there's another little (laughs) unrelated quirk to share with our audience. So last week, um, we uh, Ian had to do uh, an interview immediately as soon as we finished, and so he just stayed in the studio. And we have uh, only two people apart from the people who run the building have keys to the studio and that's me and Pierre and I just keep up my key ring with my house keys and Ian went just chuck me your keys and you and Andrew go off and, and chill and I'll come and meet you and and I'll obviously I'll lock up and bring your keys and so you did come and you did meet us and I just forgot to ask you for him and then I and then the real nightmare was that I was I was going out that evening I didn't, and I didn't get home till about one in the morning and I was thinking this is not going to help my marriage if I've got a bang on the door, drunkenly go, let me in. <laughs> um, you know, luckily I was able to text her and she saw it and she left her keys. Anyway, it, it all sorted itself out. But yeah, that was a real school, collective schoolboy error between us to leave me without house keys for a week. Yeah. Um, why did I get onto that? What was the relevance of that? Because um, you, you mentioned Sean Ennis and he was he was talking about this issue of competition and four to three and right. a little bit, that sort okay. of thing. Yeah, and so then that you, doesn't explain why I went in that direction, but I'm sure I think a, you were about to explain why four it. to three things a good idea for the for the operators. Yeah. Well why, it, why it might might why it might improve returns, Scott. Why it might Well and just the the debate. So we, we spoke about it with Sean and, and as you say, we know we know John's got a position on it, and maybe when he comes on the pub, which I should be soon, that'll be one of the things we'll talk about. Yeah. Um but I suppose there's, you know, there's the arbitrary thing that we spoke about. You know, we know one is bad. We know monopoly's bad. We know duopoly's probably bad. But we also know that an infinitesimal number is also bad. Yeah. 
So we're looking for where that optimum point is between a shitload and a monopoly. Yeah. Um, and it seems to have rested, the equilibrium with, with mobile operators seems to have rested as oscillating between three and four. And, you know, some people, I think, I think John, I think I mentioned Bengt, I think he said that in the past, they're more in favour of consolidation because they think it is more capital efficient. And I suppose investors, activist investors are like that, it's more capital efficient. Um, and if you think about it, the closer you get to a monopoly, of course you're more capital efficient. Because if you're a monopoly, you're very capital efficient. You don't have to fucking compete with anyone. Yeah. You just charge what you want and, and, and produce a shitty service and no one's got any alternative. But there's... but. There's also just the fact that, yeah, you, you've got these economies of scale and you've got these um, synergies. Yeah. They often use that word. I mean, where I'm sympathetic to the operator's argument is that, you know, it is a very heavily regulated business that's hard to get into and they pay a lot for Spectrum and then held to these obligations about, you know, covering 90% of the country within the next three years with 4G or whatever it might be. And if you're, if you've got four companies that have won those licenses and they're held to those um, requirements, um, they they all have pretty they all have pretty much the same kind of bill to to, to yeah. spend on on rolling out these very extensive nationwide networks. But <clears throat> obviously, you know, fifty million subscribers, whatever it is in the country, shared among four operators, is uh, not as good for them as yeah. fifty million shared among three in terms of how much money that they, each one's able yeah. to make. And, and the economics of it is, you know, you the, take your costs away from that, yeah. and you and you've got better margins. So you've got so, more or, so or less get a, the, a flat capex and 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 not very variable opex. So yeah. the biggest variable is number of subscribers. I mean, certainly in terms of, I think there probably are some variables in there, but in terms of having to build out a nationwide network, you can't you can't get away from the fact that three. With 12%, let's say, that's what it was in 2018. I mean, yep. even if it's a bit more than that now, um, is going to be worse off with only 12% of available customers in the market having built an, the same size network with 18,000 sites or whatever it is. And it's it's probably a bit less than EE in terms of how many masts it's got. But I think they're all pretty much similar to... Well, I think we they're know, all around at the 18,000, 19,000. I think we know anecdotally that three's coverage is a bit sketchy. Yeah, and that's probably and this one is, of us that said it. Or this would be the reason, I suppose, yeah. partly the reason. But I, I buy that argument completely. I don't, I don't, I don't have an issue with that uh, basic. Um, yeah, you know, the the question is whether it's. I don't know. It, it, you know, you look at it from a consumer point of view. You try and take the opposite line. Whenever they've done things like, um, and I think Sean Ennis made this point. Is it Ennis or Ellis? Sean Ennis, Ennis. isn't it? When, when he was on the, I thought he made a really interesting point about um, the fr French mobile, you know, when they decided to change from having a three-player market years ago to licensing a fourth player. And it was Iliad, which already yeah. had a broadband business. It came in and prices just crashed. Yeah. And and then all of a sudden there's this boom in take up, which and, led to much, of certain much services shrugging and pouting from the incumbents. But it also, but you know, it did. But it on the other on the other hand, it was good in many respects for the telecom sector because people started using services they weren't yeah. using before. Iliad was very innovative. It forced other companies to to do things in terms of pricing and make sure their networks were better quality. And you know, he was saying if you get rid of one of them. Isn't it isn't it reasonable to expect things to go back the other way? Yeah, you know, and become more expensive and less innovative. Well, you I mean, and that's so, the base, and that's the basic argument. And, and this is a challenge, I guess, for regulators that, yeah. when they're looking at this. And um, I, yeah, I mean, we both wrote about this that government paper that came out when they specifically made reference. And I don't think they yeah. could have even have gone into this personally. I'm not quite sure in that 
wireless strategy white paper that was 100 pages long yeah. why they were why were they, why they were pontificating about this but all the what signals it? were this is going to go ahead because everything they said about it was well, it's uh, fascinating isn't it why because if we assume perhaps a higher level of competence in the government and the civil service than they deserve um they will have thought let's put that in and they will have had a strategic reason for it yeah um you know why would they why would they want to clue the market up that this M&A is probably going to be allowed? Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't claim to know, but there probably will have been a strategic reason. Either that or someone just wrote it and thought, fuck it, I'll put that in, which I wouldn't think is inconceivable. But gone, yeah. I was just going to say that the, what, one of the things that makes me wonder if, um, you know, because it, you, the CMA is supposed to be completely independent from things like that, right? It's not supposed to be swayed by this stuff. And That's Competition Markets Authority. Authority, which yeah. is the one that makes the decision on They're it, the basically. They're trust people, yeah. And, uh, you know, so I'm thinking, you know, have they had a sort of nudge from the government to do things, you know, behind the scenes? And I don't know. But then they, then the, I mean, I know it's a completely different type of deal, um, but this Activision Blizzard, Microsoft... Yeah. which uh, they blocked. Which they blocked on... Grounds that a lot of I know a lot of people were coming out, and I mean I, I'm not very sympathetic to Microsoft stomping its feet yeah. and going, "Oh, you 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 haven't let it go through the UK's bad for business. We're going to go." But do Activision was the more petulant of the two, right? That was yeah. even worse. Was it? I mean, I, I, I mean, quite frankly, I quite like regulators standing up to, uh, especially big when they have a hissy fit. Up. Yeah, but then but then if you look at the rationale for it, and I've read I've tried to read around it a bit, and I'm not completely convinced it they got it they got it. 100% no, the rationale right. they were obsessed with the cloud gaming market. They were, which is very very young and not yeah. developed. And I, 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 but if they're that worried about something like that, which doesn't really even exist at the moment, for them to go and allow something like this to happen would be a little odd, you know. Well, my feeling, especially as they shot it down a few years ago. Well, we, we have that tangent about the act, the Microsoft Activision thing, which I'm sure listeners, you know, if they listen to this, they must be interested in the tech sector in general. I would have thought, or they're related to us. <laughs> Although certainly my family don't, um, but. You know, Microsoft's obviously Microsoft, and Activision is one of the biggest games publishers. Uh, itself, the product of multiple M and A, because it's called Activision, Activision Blizzard King, and King's like one of the biggest mobile games people. And Blizzard is people behind Warcraft, and Activision's done like, I think they they own Take Two, Grand Theft Auto, Call of Duty. Call of Duty, yeah. that's one of their biggest, isn't it? Yeah, maybe it's not They're GTA. Not maybe I got GTA wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, lots of massive games anyway. Um, but my feeling was when I wrote it up is it was a product of some of the, for what would term, buyer's remorse that regulators have had over things like letting Facebook buy WhatsApp and Instagram. Totally. And I think everyone's now just after the event going, right, we're not going to keep doing that. Now we're going to make mega M&A involving big tech harder. Yeah. And so the cloud gaming thing, the only sympathy I have for the cloud gaming thing is you know that old axiom, that Wayne Gretzky thing, like, well, how come you're so good when you're not the strongest or the fastest or whatever? And he goes, I, I skate to where the puck's going to be rather than where the puck is. Yeah. And that's used as a general business thing of, like, thinking ahead and, and all that. And maybe they're trying to skate to where the puck's going to be with cloud gaming and they've done some market sizing and they reckon it's not a big deal now. But the mistake we've made in the past is regulating on current market yeah. rather than market 10 years down Which the I don't line. think is a daft rationale, no. frankly, because everybody looks at the, the one you mentioned, the Instagram, Facebook, and also Instagram, WhatsApp. Those are very much regarded now in the US as deals that shouldn't have been allowed to happen. 
But at the time, no one like really no batted an eyelid. No, no one cared because WhatsApp is this tiny little company with you know three people working for it or something. And I mean, it was pretty big, um, but they didn't. It didn't, didn't have much money. money. It didn't yeah, yeah, money. Yeah, but it's, it still it was, probably it doesn't. Was widely used. I think. I mean, are you aware when you use WhatsApp of being monetized in any way? I'm not. No. Maybe they're harvesting our data and selling it to. But but maybe people. if they'd not been taken over, they would have had to think about a way of monetizing it. Yeah. And and with them under the wing. Facebook doesn't really care. It just got rid of it, basically. And, and it seemed like, complementary rather than overlapping in, yeah. in so much as... I mean, Facebook did have an IM thing. Well, they've got like Messenger, Facebook Messenger, which I still no use a bit. Do you? Uh, I'd say no one except losers use that. Well, all right, so we've already mentioned him. Paul, Paul, <laughs> Paul, who wins at table tennis, but, but loses, loses when it messaging. comes to social media because he still uses <laughs> Facebook Messenger. Right. Actually, we do it online because... Um, I think at one time he was saying nasty things about a former boss. And we, not Ray LaMatha, by the way, someone else. Yeah, I think I can imagine. Um, and uh, and yeah. we, we thought, oh, it's probably better to do it on, uh, on not, not on a sort of company platform. Well, I mean, in its time, it was handy because having a, having a um, dual interface, like being able, to, being able to communicate just easily through your PC as your phone is quite handy. Yeah. Like I do that on Signal now. Mm. There's a little app you can get. But yeah, you know that whole cloud thing of you can you can use any screen and have the same experience makes it. Anyway, whatever. Now, not many people apart from Paul um, use Facebook Messenger, and, and Facebook increasingly defaults to WhatsApp. But the point is, yeah, I think that's why they might have blocked that one. Um, but you know, to what extent? I don't can't remember why we got onto. Oh, we were talking about the CMA. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting, actually, to finish off that tangent. I, I read something, some little trial balloon, probably, story um, that Europe's thinking of approving the Microsoft yeah. activity. Yes, I, I heard that. And so that's going to make things interesting, isn't yeah. it? Because I mean, it's quite intriguing, though, I think, the whole, you know, you, you were talking, uh, you've talked before about the US sort of using its weight um, on the world stage to thwart Huawei and the Chinese. In my view, excessively so. And, and even do things like finding Facebook and where does the money go that gets paid to the DOJ and, why, what, you know, why has it got the right to do this? But I know some people saw this, the UK CMAs regarded, I, I don't know much about this, the, the, the regulators that are able to upset these big deals, the CMAs viewed as one of the big six regulatory authorities or something. And, oh, yeah. Well, when you consider you know, that the rest of Europe's all within... It's EC, the Americans, obviously, the UK, and then you've got, obviously, probably other, China, other big economies, yeah. China, Japan. But, but, it, but they're basically, the way Microsoft's um, grumbled and stomped its feet about this is very much the pesky UK has upset this mega deal and totally trashed our business I model. know, and I and think it, they... I think. You know, it's consistent with my general feelings about the Yanks getting a bit fucking above themselves, um, because they kind of they kind of lowered the mask a little bit. Their tone was like, "Who the fuck do you think you are, you goddamn limeys? Yeah, getting in the way of progress." <laughs> um, and it's like, all right, you know, it, you're a global company. You got yeah. to put up with goddamn limeys. You want our money? You don't mind pounds, do you, in your pocket? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's that. So yeah, moving it back to like the the telecoms eminate. Well, so, yeah. So my reason for bringing that up is yeah. it just makes me wonder if they if they're doing if they're trying to get quite tough on this sort of stuff. Maybe I shouldn't even be uh, conflating the two because as you were saying, one's driven I think by concern that we could end up with a face, big, big Facebook concern, Instagram yeah. type thing, and one's very much about a separate matter. But I don't know. It makes me. A few weeks ago, I was really certain that this was going to happen, especially after that wireless yeah. strategy paper came out. And now I'm kind of thinking, I don't know, because 
it's just, it's not going to, you know, I mean, at a time, I know they don't make decisions based on things like uh, jobs and what it would mean for, you know, uh, you know, the employment in, in the telecom sector and stuff like that. But that's going to generate a lot of, a lot of sort of nasty headlines, as is the prospect of price rises in an industry where they've already just forced through this very weird what is it? Inflation plus three point nine percent formula that all the operators seem to use. Yeah, so everyone's getting prices, like fourteen percent, which I think is a total scam. By the way, I keep meaning to write something. It's very much a consumer story, but yeah. I do not get why that has been allowed to. Um, what? How that can be used? How is bother- every operator come up with three point nine percent plus the rate of inflation? Yeah, without them colluding. That's a good point, isn't it? I mean, they are regulated. Well, they are regulated. Maybe they have to get sign off from. If they've all got different cost bases, and they and some make their return on capital and some don't, how did they all come up with three point nine percent? I'll give you that. Plus inflation is a price rise formula. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a bit suspicious. I mean, it could be that that like like we know OpenReach, for example, has its pricing. It has to get sign off from Ofcom. Yeah, for its prices. We had that and that's a completely different type of business, though, from three, yeah. from Vodafone. You yeah, know, digging trenches and heavily regulated to ex- an extent that the former others are. National monopoly, yeah, national yeah. monopoly, and yeah, they're they're very different looking businesses in lots of ways. I mean, I know they all do telecom services. Yeah, it is a bit dodged that they all hike their prices up at the, it, by the same amount at the same time. And that's but what but they're not do. the point in the in the, the wider perception of these companies. I don't think is a, a, a high at the moment because of those price rises are really steep. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I look at my. Um, my mobile bill. Um, oh, by the way, I'm going to have another whinge about EE as a consumer because okay. you know we were talk- always talking about the cons- about phoning up and having to deal with customer services. Yeah. So my son's been on this. My younger son's had this tablet that works on a 4G um, connection for about two years. Well, and why do you have it cellular rather than just relying on Wi-Fi? Because I got two years ago they were they were saying, oh, we've got this generous offer that you can have, and it's you know it's obviously okay. subsidised, we'll okay. and, and it's thirty quid a month, forty quid a month, or whatever, thirty quid a month, and you know, do you want to do it? And I just thought, what the hell? And I, and he wanted to tap. Does he, he take it out of the house? Time. Okay, so he he doesn't very much. No, so that's and therefore a shit move. And it? therefore, the tenth of May was the day when. The contract ended, which was two days ago. Mm-hmm. So I phoned up. They've now got this weird system. One you know, day ago. One day ago. One, you know, you dial that number one five zero. Yeah. So what happens now is they, you phone that up and they send you a text message, and say click the text message, and then it takes you into the app, and then you go through a series of choices and press a number to call again, and you go straight through to somebody who's supposed to deal with your specific yeah. inquiry. I thought this is very efficient, and this bloke picks up and he's like, "Hello." And I said, I want to, I want to cancel this um, tablet plan that I've had. He's like, don't you use it? I was like, not really. Outside, uh, yes, I want to cancel it because I use it so much, and I'm afraid <laughs> I'm like, addicted like, to I don't, it. I don't. I said, not really. Just, um, just on Wi-Fi. And he's like, all right, I've done that for you. And I, I said, do you need any details or anything? He's like, no, that's so it. So why couldn't that be fully automated? No, no, that it, was his one bit of pushback. It, 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 is was, don't too, use it, it. was too. Um, it, it was just too easy. And I, and I was like, are you sure you don't need any details? No. I said, will, will you send an email confirmation? Yeah, yeah, you'll get that later. The email confirmation hasn't come through. The right. the I go into the app, it still shows that I'm a subscriber to the right. the, the, the iPad. So, I And just, you got through to this not particularly professionals at handing. Well, I mean, basically, they've nothing's happened, so I'm going to have to phone again to try and get it cancelled. But, I mean, it, these <coughs> companies, they say they make improvements to their customer service and that they do... 
But the point of that anecdote is they're not very good, are they? I mean, they're one of the ones that's supposed to... I've had too many incidents now on, on the EE front for me to sort of dismiss right. it as it's just me being singled out for nasty treatment. Well, just to offset it, I did have my positive one a few weeks ago when I went into the shop and, and that young man was very helpful and right. got me on and basically ripped off his own employers by getting me on better contracts. I mean, I, I, th- I think they're somewhere. genuinely appalling. Right. And, um, and and this is the... So this is the concern for me is that you have a four-player market where... Um, customer service isn't brilliant anyway even it's even with them being, with more and things like that will will result in it getting worse because that's generally what happens when you go from you know four to three player markets or three to two player markets is that you lose you, you lose some of that yeah, well, even if prices don't go that's up the, those, that's the underlying part of uh, competition are you, policy. are you gonna make a headline like and then there were three with a big t yeah oh. and there were three <laughs> what would the company be called Combined company, three and a half. Voda three. Well, maybe the three brand. Three Vodafone. I, no, I think they 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 drop the three brand. Right. If it's going to be structured in a way that Vodafone owns fifty one percent of it and mm. and three's a minority shareholder, I think they just three would disappear as a brand. And three's a fucking. It's three. Stupid it's three brand, that anyway. powerful a brand in the UK. I mean, it's got twelve percent. I think a number as a brand is annoying. I mean, they couldn't even be bothered to include them in that government warning system that they sent out recently because no one cares about three. <laughs> really? Subscribers. I know. I didn't you know the get one it. when everybody got the the bleeps. You know. I didn't because I was I'd written about it and I'd already gone into the settings on my phone. It was so bizarre so that I won't know if the aliens invade. I, I didn't know that it was about to happen, and when it did happen, it was in a coffee shop and everybody's phones going off. I felt I was like in that film, The Tomorrow War, or something. Right. You know, where they all get told to go to Greenland. And, yeah, yeah. You know, and a few no, I heard a few I people. I want the bomb to land on my head. Yeah, just get it over and done with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't want to be sort of fighting zombies and radiation sickness. Slowly die. Um, yeah. That's a bit morbid, isn't it? Yeah, anyway. um, yeah no, I, I'd, I'd already turned it off, but I'd heard people, and obviously I knew about it because I'm a telecoms journalist, but loads of people didn't. <laughs> I had lots of stories about people shitting themselves when it happened because apparently it's quite loud. It was really loud, and yeah, it was because yeah. I was out in I was in Notting Hill at the time, which is a busy area at a weekend. And, and all this, all of a sudden, and a lot of people obviously didn't realise what was going on. This was about to happen. I didn't remember reading a lot of publicity leading up to this that they were going to do it. No, there was a little bit, but only and, again, I only know about because I'm a telecoms. Journalist. And then, and then I genuinely thought when I was about, when I was looking at my phone and with everybody's happening at the same time that it that something was actually happening. That yeah. this was there was like an attack. Putin had eventually decided that. Wouldn't it be funny if it had really backfired and people just started going mad and started attacking each other and (laughs) throwing chairs out of windows and stuff? Um, Oh, you can just go into your. There's some. There's some. That's rubbish, isn't it? You can just turn it off. Yeah, but most people aren't going to do that, are they? I only did it again because I was writing about it, and I'm just contrarian, awkward bastard. You're unique. So I thought I'd turn it off. Um, No, I actually genuinely when I wrote about it, my. So when there is... Uh, I didn't like the fact that a government could... And I understand it's for a good reason, and it's only to be used in emergencies, like when aliens invade or, or zombies. But when aliens do invade now, yeah. you're not going to know about it, Exactly. Are you? So more fool me. Bed, and the aliens are going to be in your house, eating your head. Yeah, and everyone else and is going to be in their alien shelters. Exactly. And just, I'm going to be the only one left. Switch it back I'll be on paraded sports, around seriously. by the aliens going, ha! Um, but no, I just didn't like... I didn't like the thought that, that a government could just unilaterally just have any influence on my phone. Yeah. It just well, they, in the US, they use me. that when the kid disappears and, you know, what they call it... Um, right, when they're trying to find and try yeah, to yeah, yeah. and all that. Yeah, that. Amber alert. Right. Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, do you know what? It's, it's a bit... Is that actually a thing? You know, in films, they always go, we're going to triangulate his location. I think you can. Do you, yeah. do you, can you actually... No, no, the Amber alert is just like... 
since everyone in text, like if you see... No, but, but oh, I, I, mean, I talk about the word triangulate. I, I mentioned triangulate. Oh, is triangulate an actual thing? We, we so, mentioned Ed, a lot of Ed Snowden they can, say it Yeah, they, exactly can, they, can, they can see from your, maybe IMEI of your phone or, or whatever, they can see which cell towers yeah. you've been near. Do you, do you know who we need to ask about this? Someone like Neil. Yeah. Is there such a thing as triangulating someone's location? Well, Ed Snowden said Neil goes, oh, bollocks. <laughs> That was terrible. I know. My, my Scotch accent, my Neil impression gets worse by the day. Um, They'll probably listen to this. So, so, Neil, if you're listening to this, is it possible to triangulate someone's location like they do in the movies? Yeah, he'll do a tweet. Uh, sure he he'll do, he'll yeah. do one of his moody Friday evening tweets. Well, there's obviously location-based stuff, but is that a word that's used to do it? Because it implies they're looking at the positions of cell Maybe that's more for satellites. So. Yeah. I don't know anyway. Well, I think because there's another thing. I use uh, I use an app called Life 360 or 365, one of those three six numbers, um, and I call it Spy App because it's, I can see where my kids are mm. by looking on it, and I, it, and it just uses Wi-Fi. Uh, so there are ways in which you can track someone's location by their proximity to either cell phone towers. Well, Macro cells yeah. or Wi-Fi hotspots. There's, there's a find my iPhone thing, mm -hmm. which is which I use to track my wife. Hmm. That's how the AirTags um, work. The AirTags so are Bluetooth. Track your wife. I can see her movements sure around London in the evening. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's. I mean, she calls it the Stalker app. Yeah, yeah. I call it. But it smile. Um, but, it, but the re main reason I'm doing it is because she's out working late at night, so yeah, to make sure she's on her way back. But, no, but you can see, kids. you can sort of see. It's quite weird because you can see her sort of driving down the road. The, the, the things moving on the on the. Uh, on yeah, the yeah. Map, but it's like oh, she's on her way home now. So. I know it's cool, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's what I know to tie. It is a bit and... intrusive and creepy, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but where the dirty movies? And... Shut, I was going to say, shut down whatever you're surfing. <laughs> I wasn't even going to be that explicit. Um, but uh, not that you ever do that. Of course, we're only joking, no. fans. So we don't even know what that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a bit intrusive, but it is quite handy. Like. You know, perhaps Pierre, you could relate to it even more. I mean, your your girl's presumably too young to have phones at all, but they'll get to an age before long where they have a phone, and you'll be definitely reassured by the fact that mm -hmm. you know where they are. God forbid, if the worst thing happened, at least you'd know where to drive to. Well, there are times like when I just cycle here, and I don't tell my wife like I made it. You know, it's it's rainy or something. She's scared that I'm going to get right, know. and then because there's no signal here, I forget. And, and she's like, oh, thank God for finding my iPhone that I know you made. Right, I see. <laughs> She'd be even more worried if you were still surfing yeah. down the street. Like if I was stopped somewhere in the middle of the road, yeah. On your illegal powered surfboard that you yeah. used to have. Um, so anyway, um, but God, we've been going on for about an hour and we keep going off on time. This is what happens when we don't have a guest. We're yeah. definitely less disciplined when we don't have a guest. Let me bring it back to one or two other things I want to talk about this before we move it on. So, but, but should yeah, it happen on. or not? Should it happen or not? Personally, I'd be fine with it. Um, I, I'm not worried about its effect. I, I think like in the US, and I know they will pay more. The ARPU is much higher. We haven't even talked about the national security side of it. Well, I was about uh, to get okay, onto that, but right. we keep fucking off on Sorry. tangents, don't we? <laughs> um, I know they, the ARPU is higher in the States, but they, it doesn't seem to have been disastrous for Sprint to be taken out of the equation in the States. Well, I tell you now... The ARPU situation in the state. I didn't realise how expensive phone plans yeah, were yeah. in the States until my son's tennis coach said he, he really needs a US phone because when we travel... So basically what um, my son's in the US, in Denver, and he's not taken out a US phone plan. He's just relied on his UK phone. Oh, shit. Have you had some bill No, he switched off roaming oh, right. and cellular. He just runs it off campus Wi-Fi Wi yeah, yeah. and just makes WhatsApp. And the only person he calls really in the UK is... Yeah, yeah. And, and he's got a make-all feeling. He just does it on WhatsApp. 
It's brilliant. But um, when they travel and you're at airports and stuff, yeah. no one can reach him if he wants to get a coffee and the plane's about to leave or something. So, so I said, why don't you go to the AT&T shop to inquire about a basic prepay phone that you put five quid on it, yeah. five dollars on it. And just don't, for when you're out and about. And just to have it as... Yeah. as well, what about just a SIM? Or even that. Mm. SIM, only, yeah. SIM only type thing. The the cheapest offer that he was that he was told was thirty dollars a month. Yeah, thirty dollars a month. And I said that sounds quite expensive just for a prepay. Like, yeah. puts a, and I, so I asked There's Mike. No gift gaff in the states. I asked Phil it? and Mike and Kelsey. They pay a hundred dollars, yeah. and they were like, "That's really cheap." Yeah, yeah. They're, they're all on like they're all paying like ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Amounts I've been of money I've been aware of that for a while. Services. So yeah. maybe the US yeah. isn't the best market. And to same for broadband. To. They pay crazy money on broadband yeah. and, and uh, TV. I mean, we are incredibly lucky on prices in mm -hmm. Europe. It's well, so. I, mean, low, I think this is so. one of the biggest things that goes on. And maybe maybe this explains some of the petulance from like Microsoft and Activision. It's just different over here. It's more population dense. We've obviously got lots of little countries all clustered together. You know, there's that famous I think John Donald Rumsfeld thing. Who's like, who do you call when you want to speak to Europe? It's such a <laughs> fucking yeah statement to make, isn't it? It's like, well, Ursula. they're different people because we're different countries, call mate. Ursula, don't you? Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you call Ursula with a I big hairdo. Both their names Andrus and not von der Leyen or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, Little Mermaid. Yeah. But they have always they've always paid a lot more in the states, and obviously it's very uncompetitive. I mean, I'm sure we've spoken about this in the past, especially on the fixed line. There's loads of places while there are a few players in the states because it's such a bit much a bigger country, like bigger than the whole of Europe. Um, you know, you could be in fucking Alabama or whatever, and you will only have one option. So there's little micro monopolies all over the states. Do you remember that map I sent you of, I think it was with T-Mobile and Nebraska was like, yeah, no, no coverage. Right. <laughs> it's one of those coverage maps that's all pink because T-Mobile was obsessed with pink. Um, and then there was just this Nebraska shaped hole. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm inclined to just let it go through as much just so I've got something to write about, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we, we were mentioning other reasons why it might not go through. So there we've had Finnegan going, oh, fucking go on. Throw us a bone, government. You know, you know it makes sense. And then we had the CFO of... C.K. Hutchison, which owns three. And so if, it, if it doesn't go through, someone could do like a headline at Finnegan's Wake. There we are. Yeah. Oh. It's uh, more a subhead, really, I think, than a headline. Yeah. But yeah, um, sorry. Someone's yeah. going to steal that. Um, what was I going to say? So this is one of the reasons. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we, we have guests. I keep on. getting thrown off. <laughs> um, John Sixt. S I X T. He, he of car rental fame. Frank John Sixt, actually, sorry. He doesn't sound very um, Hong Kongese or, or Asian. No, well, he's like CFO that. of three parents he can Maybe he isn't. Um, and according to Reuters, he told investors, quote, it's probable, as has been speculated, that we will reach, reach an understanding with our friends at Vodafone. Although I would say that they are extremely difficult to draw a conclusion with on one hand. But on the other hand, they are, in the end, very good partners. Talk about hedging your bets. Um and so the first part makes me a bit more sceptical. The second part makes me a bit more optimistic. Okay, all right, fair enough. That's his roundabout way of going, well, you know. That's about sitting on six the fence. Six and one half dozen, can, the other. Isn't yeah. It? But I like the way he's going, they're difficult to draw a conclusion to. I mean, basically, they've been, they've been trying to thrash out a deal for at least six months, haven't they? Yeah, I think it's, yeah. And then, right. and then the other complication, this is reported on by The Telegraph. Um, and they're paywalled, so I'm just relying on their tweet. I don't I haven't read the body of their um, article, but the, their tweet goes, Vodafone's talk to merge its UK business with that of Chinese-owned rival 3, and is deliberately 
framed it in that way, face a, quote, extremely difficult, close quote, conclusion amid calls for any deal to be investigated on national security grounds. Now, obviously, they keep saying Chinese own, Chinese back, Chinese this. They've got a picture of Chinese geezer in their story, or at least East Asian looking bloke. Um, I presume he's, he's probably the CEO of CK Hutchinson. Do we know who that is? Anyway, doesn't well, matter. What's his name? The guy who um, the guy who started it off, Lee. Oh, what's his name? No, yeah, it doesn't carry matter. Carry on. We'll, we'll Lidzar Kwoi. Look it up. The, oh, yeah. the, the, Victor. The... Victor Lidzar Kwoi. Um, and he looks very nice. He's smiling. He's got a bunch of uh, microphones thrust in his face, but he's smiling nonetheless. He's got a sort of Dalai Lama vibe going on. Um, well, there's nothing to worry about then, is there? Just yeah, yeah. it's obviously <laughs> lovely. Um, the, but what interests me about it is they go national security and the inference being this Chinese own. And, you know, I've said on the pod loads of times before, and I'll say it again. I don't like this anything Chinese is dodgy approach. There are several reasons I don't like it, but there's something just basically xenophobic. I'm not going to say racist, but just xenophobic. Just like, well, they're dodgy over there. Now, I'm sure there are some good reasons. I don't trust the CCP very much. I, if I ever travel to China, the fact that I do impressions of Xi Jinping as I don't, Ray I don't Winston, trust him at all. I'll, I'll, what if I'll, he's a huge fan of Ray Winston? You what? And he loves you for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then I'm carried aloft with rose petals scattered <laughs> yeah. in my path. Um, I can't see that. Yeah, it, it with Ray bit, Winston himself. <laughs> yeah, there as well. Okay, he's my fucking mate. Um, I, you know. There are things about CCP that, that I think are dodge. And I think it's not unreasonable to have some national security concerns about, you know, all the stuff we've spoken about Huawei loads of times. Um, although I'll still stress that no one's ever delivered any smoking gun or even oblique evidence that they actually do it. Um, but the thing about this is Three's already owned by Hutchinson. And it's been in the UK for 20 years. So why... Is it not a national security concern for three to exist as it is, but it is a national security concern for three to merge with Vodafone? I can answer that question. Go on. So I think one of the reasons is that Vodafone has some government contracts <laughs> and three doesn't. And therefore... Just stay uh, clear of them. So, <laughs> well, it doesn't have... Um, what One thing three hasn't done with its 12% market share, although I think it's trying to do, is push more heavily into the sort of enterprise public sector market as opposed to just serving consumers. Right. Like mainly teenagers, actually, I think, and you know, yeah. people who don't want to spend any money. Prepaid people. Like, Tight asses like Pierre. I spent £12. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> That's all I need. Whereas so teenagers think, and foreigners. Vodafone business or Vodafone Enterprise or whatever it's called is like a third of Vodafone Group's revenues. Right. And they have, they're not, I don't think they're as big as BT. In yeah, terms because of they had the sector. cable and wireless acquisition that would be part of it. Yeah, so they have quite a big sort of set of public sector contracts, I think. And therefore, that's, as I understand it, that's the concern about. Fair enough. Okay. Um, All right, that makes a bit I'm more not, sense. I'm not saying that um, we should not trust the Chinese, by the way, but that's um, better, better than the Russians, isn't it? It does. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck them as well. <laughs> And anyone else who speaks a dodgy language. Um, yeah, although you'd like to think that, you know, we were talking about that government announcement where they were sort of, you know, saying, yeah, we, we might be all right with that. You'd like to think they'd thought of all that. Yeah. Already. You would. Um, I mean, maybe what, maybe what happens is they uh, get... There's going to be remedies, aren't there, if this goes ahead? This is the thing. There's going to be some yeah, remedies. Well, yeah, back to what there's, always, about with there's always remedies. And... 
I think one thing that would happen is a lot of spectrum rebalancing because, and this might be a reason, this might be one of the answers to Kelsey's questions about why Vodafone might want to spend money on three. In the same way T-Mobile forks out a huge amount for Sprint, and some people at the time were like, well, Sprint's not doing very well, is it? It's a bit rubbish. Nobody, everybody leaves all the time. And But they had this huge spectrum estate of 2.5 gigahertz spectrum that's turned out to be incredibly useful for, right. for putting in 5G services and forget about all that millimetre wave nonsense that isn't actually well, very I good. Well, I think we've said in a recent pod that a lot of people <laughs> yeah. argue that the, the primary holding, the, the primary sort of equity that these people have is their it's spectrum, spectrum. And, and they're really rich in spectrum um, yeah. three in in terms of as, as i understand it i think they have a lot of mid-band spectrum like more than maybe any of the other operators and so maybe not so much on the the lower bands where i think vodafone's already does reasonably well from its leg- legacy position but they have a lot of mid-band spectrum so i think the government might go or ofcom or cma might say um if this deal goes ahead some of that has to be has to be parceled out to and they'll other probably, companies. Um, as we chatted about last week, they'll probably um, re-auction it and cash in again on the fuck. Re-auction it, and then maybe other bits have to get. Maybe other bits have to go as well. I mean, there's got to be some unwinding of weird things that have happened, like this. Um, what's it called? Cornerstone and what's the other one? The two the two units the, the basically joint. that control uh, the actual infrastructure that own the infrastructure. The shared mobile. MBNL shared and Cornerstone are yeah. the two of them. So uh, as I understand it. Um, Telefonica shares with Vodafone and so. BT, shares with, heads, BT shares with three in MBNL and Vodafone's with Telefonica in Cornerstone. So that's an issue. That's an issue because if you have a merger, they're on different, then they're on different teams. It's like it's like basically, you know, Arsenal playing Tottenham and some of the players sort of score <laughs> goals for both sides or something. It's, you know, yeah. it's just... Um, no, that is idea. that is an issue. I mean, which which network are they going to use? Exactly. Yeah, well, it's passive, isn't it? It's a passive infrastructure, but it's just it's just very complicated but and which, messy. And yeah, yeah, and and then well, you've it, got some of the supplier stuff that's going on is weird as well. Actually, that would I mean, I guess with all these sites that have been rolled out, and obviously they're probably using some of the, they're using some of the same sites, but you've got. Vodafone's vendors are quite different from they're both heavily reliant on Ericsson. But then Vodafone's got this open RAN plan in part of the country, and it's still got a bit of Nokia, I think, probably in London, and it's it's all yeah. it all needs a bit of a kind of clean up. I think some of this but, it's messy, yeah. but you know, thing about messy stuff is it, what it really means is that that you got to make bigger compromises than you might have felt comfortable doing. But they should just get the fuck on with it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, I don't know why it hasn't happened. There's obviously, to me, the will between Vodafone and Three. Although, having said that, this this geezer sixth coming out with Vodafone can be a bit of a pain in the ass, which is a sort of paraphrase of what he's saying, and then quickly going, "Yeah, but but bless him." That's basically his his thing paraphrased into sort of London. <laughs> is there a bit of pain in the ass, but bless him? <laughs> um, so it's obviously been difficult. You know, for all we know, our our overall boss has been. Uh, Stephen Carter, who's on the on the board of Vodafone, has been mm-hmm. involved quite a lot. Yeah. I speculated as soon as he got that gig that you know among his among his many talents uh, is M and A. He yeah. doesn't mind a bit of M and A, and he knows yeah. how to make it happen. And he's very much part of the establishment. He's a fucking lord. Yeah. So and, you a, know, former, and a former head of Ofcom. Yeah, I think so, the first I mean, head of Ofcom. You couldn't get someone more dialed into the UK telecoms yeah. sort of world, although obviously. You know, Informa's not primarily a telecoms-focused company, but it's still got a lot of interest in that area, yeah, including us. Yeah. 
Um, so, yeah, I always thought that one of the reasons he was there is to facilitate the whole thing. And, yeah. and, and he'll presumably know the best ways to make these things happen. But the fact it's been dragging on so long, I don't know whether it's regulatory or whether it's them coming to an agreement or whatever, but we keep getting these little trial balloons, these little leaks to the media that's imminent. Yeah. You know, if you, I bet you if there was a betting market, you'd get fairly short odds on it happening in, in May. I, I I don't know. I mean, a couple of the analysts I've spoken to about it, it seems to think it'd take longer than that to go through the whole CMA process. But mm. but then but then you know, with all the noise that's being made about it, all of a sudden, and FT stories and this Robert Finnegan, you know, having a little whinge, maybe it is maybe it is closer than that. I don't know. I tell you what, I hope so because, like you say, it gives us something to write about. Quite well. On that note, it's better than writing about open ran. Yeah. On that note. <laughs> on that note, times two. Um, I will move it on and go, Ian, what have you been writing about this week? I've <laughs> been writing about Open Round. Have change. you, mate? Why don't you tell us a bit about it? Uh, it's my it's my usual sort of hobby horse with the the innards of the technology, I guess, the kind of chip side of it. Um, and I've, I've written quite a few articles on that um, before about, you know, if you virtualise your, your network, then it becomes... The whole, the whole point of virtualization being that you can run software on sort of off-the-shelf equipment and have the flexibility to move resources around and use common platforms that you're you're basically using, um, you know, you're, you're, you're using general purpose processes and the likelihood is they're going to be coming from only one company, which is Intel, because it's got such a big position in the general purpose processes market. Yeah. And I've always thought that's a bit of an oddity, given that Open RAN and VRAN are supposed to be about spurring competition and plurality. Yeah. They have this. To me, it's the it's the the standout weirdness almost of, of that whole sort of um, aspect of the market. Really, I think is that is that Intel kind of um, dependency that's there. Um, and so there's been there's been moves to. Uh, address that some some moves to address that on the kind of telco side and not have um, yeah wasn't know, there some, situation someone where... do a deal with AMD recently that? yeah so yeah so I mean I mean if just if you look at where Intel's coming from in terms of the PC market and the and the data center market which then carries over because where that's where the ass. general purpose yeah. processes come from really I think it's market it's market share in PCs is something like seventy percent now and it's similar on the and it's been of, higher. It's been when I used to write so about it, this more, it was in the well, 80s. That was sure. that was almost the kind of genesis for my story that it has been higher, um, and it's similar. It's a similar high level in the data centres, but it it's not as high as it was. Yeah, thanks and, to AMD and, getting its shit together. Yeah. Um, so the concern about which to which sorry, slight little bit of trivia. Um, some credit must go to uh, Mo Green from The Godfather for that. Oh, he remember was at AMD. Rory Reed, who's yeah. now. At Ericsson, because since they bought Vonage, yes, and we reckon looks and sounds a bit like Mo Green. He does. Godfather. He does. Yeah. Um, he was. He was, he was CEO of AMD for a bit, and he yeah. was part of their. I think he was there near their Nadir, but let's yeah. give him some credit for helping the turnaround. Yeah. Anyway, so sorry. so so they they don't want to have a situation where um, uh, you're you're 100 dependent on Intel in the future if you have VRAN, and I think the reason nobody's overly worried about this at the moment, and it's probably only me and a couple of other sort of in the in the nitty gritty weirdo hacks that write about this is because um, VRAN is a tiny bit of the market. You know, it's like five percent. But you're scared to where the puck's going to be. But you. But then you look at you. yeah. So the analyst consensus is it's going to grow a lot this decade. And if we end up with it being a really significant part of the market in like 2028, 2029 or whatever, 
and and nothing happens to to change things, then we don't want to have an Intel sort of monopoly on that side of things, do we? Um, and there's been some sort of effort on if you look at the the RAN sort of the bit of the RAN software layer if, layers, if you like, the different sort of things that that happen within the RAN, you can sort of break it down into three three layers they, they have mm -hmm. this osi model you know the seven the seven layers of the osi model that tries i don't to, know it intimately that tries to break, to break up how how you look at a, a telecom network okay. in a sort of conceptual way but there's um the radio access network is kind of relevant in three of those and um layer one that tends to be what we call uh, often gets referred to as baseband processing. It's like processing the signals, really, that right. come in. Um, so signals already come in, and you're like... Signals come in, they need to be... Decoding, encoding, they need to be, exactly, decompressed. Totally, yeah. And just generally... Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, I don't really understand how radio works as well as I should, but obviously to turn our voice into something that can go over the air. Yeah. You've got to fuck around Yeah, with and then it lot. gets fed further down towards the core network. <laughs> Brilliant. To use a technical <laughs> term. <laughs> but it is. It's a lot of number crunching that prepares the data to then be sent to the next st stage in the process and eventually it goes to the core, you know. And and But that that layer one processing, that baseband processing in, in traditional networks has tended to happen at sort of the bottom of cell sites. You know, it's traditional kit. With um, open RAN and VRAM, what you do is have a what they call a distributed unit um, where it takes place. And there's been concern that if you use general purpose processes to do this, that they're not really geared up to doing it. They're not performance wise, they're not. Well, they're by good. definition. They're by definition. Not they're designed by definition, specifically for the. I mean, there are some things, though, that general, we don't have to worry about that. That's, this is a thing. Um, there it's are, just raw processing power. That layer you can use two and three, if you talk to people in the industry, which is, um, which is also part of the RAN, but would happen more in the central unit. Um, the people I've spoken to say the performance concerns there are not, you don't, it's not, don't really, it's not really an issue. You don't really need bespoke silicon. And I think that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of attention that's been paid to, lay, to layer one and to getting alternatives in there to Intel, uh, which have tended to come in the form of um, these accelerator cards that you that's get right. from someone like Marvell or Qualcomm. And then, and then or, part of the thinking is if you've got to get a, bit of bespoke silicon and then that's kind of defeating the object of it there, there is that concern that you've that you've you know if you get bespoke silicon in that you know this is what intel would say that it's then not really virtualized and right um you they, they'd say they'd argue that you can't run it on the same kubernetes tools because that's the whole point of virtualization to have this kind of common platform so yes for sure um you know there's always these compromises you have to make i think yeah you know people who push back against that would say well these accelerator cards and smart nicks and actually using customized silicon has been a big 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 deal in the hyperscaler market for years this is this is actually what people like amazon are doing with things like graviton they're using customized silicon to run some what do you do sorry if this is not relevant but you know from my limited understanding back when i used to when i was at hexas and i used to write about Graphics cards versus CPUs, GPUs versus CPUs. Yep, yep, yep. And and you know one of the well, things... G GPUs is a classic example of that where they've eroded. They're eroding the share of CPUs now on the data side because they're just better for doing certain things. Yeah, because they have they have my understanding is parallel processing, i.e., yep. lots lots of processing happening um, at, at the, the same, same time. time. Yeah. Whereas CPUs more it's like one a after single, yeah. Yeah, yeah, more sequential, yeah. and theirs is more parallel. Yeah. And so it's just a fundamentally different architecture. Yeah. So, so maybe there's some compromises you have to make because you're using, you, you, you know, you're using some customized silicon. But it's a step that the hyperscalers have taken, and they still say they're able to run it on. They're still able to abstract those differences away and have it on the same kind of platform. 
Um, I think one of the reasons of NVIDIA, so which push- is the biggest biggest GPU slash parallel processing company in the world, to the best of my knowledge, has done so well, is because of the need for that kind of processing totally. in places like data centers totally. and, yeah. and um, what are they, like AI and, yep. and all that yep. sort of thing. Yeah. So, so it's that debate's probably going to go on and give me things to write about for a while. But the point is, that's, that's kind of the, where the competitive challenge to Intel has come from. It's come from companies trying to do that and to have these accelerator cards in. The trouble is, I think, is that you, you still have a need for a CPU there. You know, to do other to do other functions, and you know, even if you're not having to have as as an expensive a CPU in the, uh, you know, in the in the distributed unit side of things, because you can rely on a, a you know less sophisticated processor if you're offloading most of it to the, one of these accelerator cards. You've still got Intel in the mix. So what you really want is a, a CPU that's not Intel based. Yeah, you want a general purpose processor that doesn't come from Intel. Why do you want that? To have competition to Intel. All right, yeah, for, for yeah, competition. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, if you if you want to have a market, yeah, and then conversely, on. Intel has got a massive interest. Like if you look at the business model, the economics of being a not just a chip designer like Qualcomm or Nvidia or are, uh, but also a chip manufacturer. Yeah, it's all about scale. What it, where Intel makes money is if you can make a fuck ton of one chip and sell it into loads of different use cases. Exactly, that's the whole thing about general purpose processes, yeah. I guess, why they why they can get these economies of scale. and, um, and so It's and, like manufacturing anything. You know, if you look at like this tin of Hazy Jane, if you or I had to make this tin from scratch, it'd be enormously uneconomic. We'd have yeah. to mine the metal. But then when you've got a factory that's churning out millions of them, suddenly the cost but per the, unit but this goes is, right down. This is the challenge. This is why it's so difficult, I guess, to, you know, nobody set out to have uh, reliance on Intel um, as a general purpose processor company, but in in a way, the, 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 there's a there's a kind of the attractions of having a a common you know a general purpose processor that's provided by one company and that's based on one architecture. You know, you have to you have to balance that against the concerns of having a lack of competition. Yeah. That that's the issue, really. I think, um, and and the challenge for trying to get alternatives into the market is that anybody coming at this from a a, you know, a standing star is obviously doesn't have those economies of scale. But there's no reason that I understand, and obviously you've you've dug a lot deeper into this than I have. So I'm chucking this out here for you to affirm or, or tell me I'm full of shit. There's no reason why. Was it Intel's um, VRAN share is like ninety? Ninety nine percent. They say they have a presence right, in ninety nine percent. And when you consider that AMD has, let's say. A share in the twenties of like servers and PCs. Yeah, yeah. there's no reason why it shouldn't have a share in the twenties. It's about 20. if the market was functioning optimally. Yeah, it should have a twenty five percent share of VRAN. Yeah, and in and AMD is on the certainly on the on the kind of layer one side is a presence. So Ericsson had this announcement recently, in fact, where they were say you can now run their layer one software, their VRAN layer one software on. They already deal with Intel in place but also on AMD chips as well. And it's the same software, basically. It's portable between the two. Mm. So they're already a presence there in layer one. Okay. And they're certainly a company you would look to to be doing general purpose processes that could be used. I think it's Epic, their brand's called. They're, they're, they're sort of range. And the, Intel uses Xeon. Intel's is Xeon. They should have called it Wicked. And that <laughs> E-P-Y-C. Oh, okay. But, um, but my... my 
my um, push in the, the, not push, but my sort of point in the article I was writing is alternatives to those two, because again, you don't really want a duopoly and they're both using the same architecture anyway. They're both using x86 architecture, which they sort of cross license between, between the two of them. Um, so the other main system that we have uh, in the world is called ARM, which yeah. is for stands for advanced risk machines. So it's risk rather. So here, than... just to clarify for those few people listening that, that don't already know this, you know, we we've got these is broad like chip microarchitecture, and the, the Intel one, which AMD also uses, called x86. Yeah. And then ARM is the one that is in all the chips that are in our phones. Yeah. So ARM, ARM's come along in uh, more recently um, with a position in um, smaller gadgets, basically. Like, I mean, it, it, I think the original intention was to actually have it as a as a possibility to to have a go at sort of data centers and PCs, but it was never really able to capture share no, in an early stage in that the, market. The, the, the um, ARM, when it when it was an acronym, stood for Advanced Risk, risk Machines, and RISC itself is an acronym, which is yeah. reduced instruction set computing. Yeah. And the, the reason it's relevant is reduced instruction set points to the fact that it is ARM, ARM microarchitecture is more energy efficient than x86. Yeah. There are advantages of x86, like it can have a bit more grunt. It's like comparing uh, like a Japanese hatchback to an American muscle car yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I think that's true. I mean, if you talk to people, it's less... The clock speed's lower, basically, with ARM, so you need more cores. The cores are like the processors that go into a CPU. So you'd like have an Intel 32-core processor. You could, and you to have an equivalent. To have processor. an equivalent with an ARM, yeah. you'd have like 128-core processor. But um, but it's a lot more, and, and that's, you know, this is, and also it doesn't cover all the bases in, in data centers. I think, you know, to have a general purpose processor, you have to, um, you have to tick a lot of boxes, basically. That's why it's general pro general purpose. So it's a, it's a hard, it's kind of a hard nut to crack. They've done very well in the smartphone market and, you know, other areas. But for them pushing into these, you know, into data centers and into PCs is the challenge that Intel's faced in trying to go the other way into smartphones. But uh, and but, you know, it, but it's happening. It's and, to happen. and it's, and it's funny, yeah. like in, in my previous life in Hexus, I was getting briefings in both directions. I remember writing about an Intel... Um, attempt to get into mobiles and, and they always have these code names and it's yeah. called Moore's Town. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's shit. Yeah. It's shit mainly because it's x86 and, and, and it was the time where they actually thought they could get x86 into phones but the problem is you get no battery life and and your, your, your phone gets all hot. Yeah. Um, and then conversely I remember at the same time Arm briefing me on about how they're really getting in, they're making a push into servers. So those two worlds, yeah, have been trying to fuck with each other they have. quite a while. Although, although Arm's having a lot more success now than Intel is the other way. This is the interesting yeah. thing. This is the curious thing is that I mean, Intel even considered going down the risk route at one stage, but it was oh, they did, they did. Um, Andy Grove when it was under Andy Grove, they considered they sold it to, to Marvell. It yeah. was called, I think it began with X. I, I, I think it's just a case of entrenched positions, and it was too it was too much of a uh, you know they'd had so much invested in X eighty six it was too it was too risky a move basically. Oh, or was it Iridium? That. Was that a thing, or was that the satellite? That's company? a satellite company. Shit, I think it but, might have begun with I. Anyway, yeah. it doesn't matter. But they but um, but arms armies having success now, in, and the classic the best example the one that so I spoke with um, a guy called Tarek Amin, who's the who's the head of Rakuten Mobile and Rakuten right. Symphony about company. this whole issue because he was. So their software, they have they bought a company called Altiostar, which is, does RAN software, and it's now re been rebranded to Simran. I didn't know that. Oh, I, I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's not called Altiostar anymore. It's Simran. 
Um, that is very much Radio based on. Um, that's so, apparently, when he first started dealing with Altia Star um, a few years ago, their whole system was based on uh, chips that were their D, their sort of DU software was based on chips that came from Texas Instruments. Right, it was ARM based. And TI has been out of yeah. the mainstream chip. Yeah, totally. And he he persuaded them. He was the only big customer at the time. He persuaded them to switch to Intel because he wanted something that he could run on a common infrastructure and use you know the same general purpose processes that he's using across other other things that he's doing so that switch that sort of porting of the software from this texas instruments chip to intel sort of happened at his instigation but he what he is uh, he again you took tarik you're talking tarik, tarik, I mean, yeah right, okay yeah um, it's interesting um apple way back in the day ran on texas instrument chips before right. they switched to intel yeah Did you know that Oh really? Yeah, way back. Power when. PC. Yeah, I think that was Texas well, Instruments. Wow. So he was talking about Apple. He was. He, I mean, he acknowledges that this is a concern that we have this chip market that isn't as as dynamic as it could be. And one of the things he referred to when I was doing the interview with him was the Apple M1 processor, right. which is an ARM-based processor exactly. that works very, very well. And all the reviews have been ecstatic that yeah. I've ever read about it. Is your is your laptop um, there on an M M1? Yeah. And is it is it kick ass? Are you oh, happy yeah. with it? Yeah. And it obviously good. doesn't require any fans. I was checking it's got eight efficiency CPUs and Oh, sorry, eight performance and two efficiency CPUs and then 24 GPUs. Yeah, it's all very integrated onto the same system yeah, on a chip. on an SOC, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's a, so he's not a big fan of using these um, PCIe cards in the in the RAN. He thinks they're kind of... Um, it, it, they, in themselves, the fact that you have that as an additional thing is an extra cost and, you know, it creates complexity. So The biggest, sorry to slightly... Um, but in the biggest illustration you can get of the relative energy efficiency of it is we've got, oh, well, you haven't got your laptop out, but you've got a Mac now, haven't you? I have, but it's not um, running on an M1. These get so mine's, mine's on an Intel but, chip, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, mine's my Dell laptop, which I'm perfectly happy with, but it's got a little fan on the side, and sometimes it sounds like a fucking airplane taking yeah. off. And you never Whereas get yours that. presumably doesn't have any vents or fan or anything, does it? Yeah, it has these because it's a But, I, but I, I don't think you ever hear it like oh, a, a helicopter. The MacBook Air car. doesn't have fans, yeah. Yeah. And you can edit like 4K video and everything. Right, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's that, that, yeah. I mean, that's so, good. A, that's a, like anyone can get their head around how what that says about the relative efficiency. Yeah. of yeah. This chip versus that chip. So he, so he so Tarek was saying his dream chip for the RAN would be something like Apple's M1. But of course, mm -hmm. Apple Apple is not selling no. chip merchant silicon to the RAN sector. And somebody else I spoke to, you wanted to sort of remain uh, on background on this, was saying probably what's going to happen is you'll see the companies that are trying to challenge Intel in this space. They're obviously in the general purpose processor space. They're obviously going to go after the big, the big game first. And the and where Intel makes most of its money is is laptops and uh, these days actually. And data centers. And data centers. Secondly, yeah. yeah, it's the client computing group. I think is the biggest. Right. And then the well, it always has been. Always has been. I mean, that's why we used to have. Ding, 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 yeah. Intel inside, and then the second one is um, what it now calls. It just used to be the data center group. But it's now called data center and AI group. That's right. the second biggest group in terms of revenues. But Intel's, if you look at Intel's result, Intel's in trouble in it's terms struggling of market for a while. share. In, but in those two sectors in particular, I looked at the revenues, and and then you look at data from Counterpoint Research. You know them. They they actually crunch the numbers on these former processes. colleagues of mine. They, um, Tom Kang and Neil so, Shah, shout out. So their market share in PCs has come down quite a lot, partly because of AMD, but partly because of ARM-based uh, chips coming along. And the really interesting thing is Apple's obviously only doing the M1 for its own MacBooks, 
But the company that could really shake things up if it works out is Qualcomm, which is trying to do an ARM-based chip for PCs that would work with Windows software and could be a real game. I mean, that's, a, that's the biggest threat, I think, that Intel faces. Forget about all this. Well, Qualcomm is the single biggest um, ARM-based chip company. Yeah. And they're going off. Well, they've just Intel traditionally division. focused on modems and yeah. then Snapdragons. No, this is a, this yeah. is a CPU move. So yeah. if this works, so the, the, this contact who who didn't want to um, his name revealed, but he was saying if if you, you see things like that succeed and then moves in the data center by companies like Amazon with Graviton, you know, to do their own sort of ARM based processors, then we might see more happening on the kind of RAN side, which is uh, their RAN market, by the way, is. I think Intel, if you look at what Intel made in, in PCs and data centers last year, it was something like 56 billion. And the whole of the RAN market makes about yeah. 45 billion. But and that's, that's, right. that's all equipment. Again, back so, to the Wayne Gretzky yeah. thing. I, I think you're, you know, if you're not going to be covering this shit early, then who is? Yeah. So I think totally, whenever I see that you've covered it, yeah, there's a part of me that wants to take a piss at you. You go, you're fucking written about open running. Yeah. But um, I sort of think, well, that, that's what you're doing. And, and people, even people like, there was a thing um, a colleague shared with me recently about, I think someone in the Wall Street Journal or, or New York Times had just written about a bit about how uh, 5G might not be all that. Yeah. And it's basically like about three, three years, years behind yeah. what we're writing. Yeah. And so you realise that, you know, and that isn't to try and blow too much smoke up our asses a little bit whisper smoke maybe. We, need, we need a whisper smoke every now and again but no but it's also just our where we where we're positioned Funny you know, we, that, isn't it yeah I know I don't even I, I, I've never blokes, tried to who wants smoke, smoke blown up ass, um, and I use it quite a lot without even understanding yeah um, anyway but you know and, and I think there was another thing that a, a colleague shared with me about um recently about the uh, rip and replace that's going on in the States to do with Huawei, which again, you know, and I think that would, might have been a Wall Street Journal thing. So the point is, when we cover stuff, and when we've been on, you know, we've been out in World War Congress and we've been on dinners where we meet, like, the mainstream press. And, you know, I remember once, I won't name him, but one chap who writes for the mainstream and, and I was going, oh, it's good to speak to a proper journalist. And he's like, no, you're the proper journalist. And he sort oh, of inferred nice. that they quite often... They quite often look at our shit. Yeah. And I suppose I would. If I was working for a mainstream publication and maybe I was at a business beat and yeah. I'd want to at least sanity check, which is a word I use like with, with our writers, if if you're covering something, I don't think there's anything wrong with seeing what someone else has covered. Just in case you completely fuck it up yeah. or get the wrong angle or miss some important detail. Yeah, totally. yeah. That's what I mean by sanity checking, not plagiarizing. Yeah. Just going, you know, is this how the FT and the Wall Street Journal and, and Ian and whoever has yeah. covered it? Because if I'm... I, I usually look at Ray's stuff and he hasn't written anything on it and I go, damn, that's such a rock moment thing then. <laughs> oh, that means you're scooping him. But, um, but yeah, so, but the point is, I think it's 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 right and proper that you go deep on this stuff because you'll be the first line of attack and I'm sure you get the attention of all these people like Intel yeah. or at least the bits of Intel that care uh, about this. The only, and before we put it to bed, the only th other yeah. thing i say is when I was here last week and you were losing your keys and we, um, and I was doing that interview with HPE, that was almost, that was kind of partly the genesis of this story because HPE is working with a really interesting company called Ampere Computing. Do you know right. that? Right, I don't. Right. So they're founded in 2017 by someone called Renee James. She was former Intel president. Yes, uh, that name rings right? a bell. And she's now founded this company called Ampere Computing. They're doing ARM-based processors for data centers. And HP Hewlett-Packard Enterprise is working with them on trying to get an ARM-based processor that could work in the RAN. 
essentially, with fewer cores. So she doesn't want she doesn't want one that has like 128 cores. Try and try and get the number down and um, benefit from the sort of energy efficiencies that you get with it and position that as something that you can use as an alternative to Intel GPPs in the radio access network market. It's almost, it's almost like a scoop because I don't think anybody's written yeah. that, that sort of... I mean, it's very techy sort of stuff. It's in the weeds, but, the you know, weeds, like, but, I, um, like I just got through labouring the point of it's our job yeah. to be in the weeds, especially... He's, he's seen something really I want, funny. I want obviously. Pierre to share it with the rest of the class. So we've got Pierre in our periphery giggling about something thought, he's been watching on the internet. Really complicated then, and he's yeah. like... I was just looking at the origins of the term blowing up smoke up your <laughs> Oh, <laughs> And it was... Back in the 1700s, it was an actual thing. It was blow t- tobacco up... People's that was the thing that people did to resuscitate them. Oh, <laughs> when they when they passed out. Yeah, the, the nicotine w- would go into the bloodstream and help. I see. The, yeah. So it's oh so it's God. like it's like a cinema similar concept of like a enema or something. Yeah, but with gas. They would actually. So you got the three states: you got suppository, enema, and blowing smoke at your ass, which yeah. hasn't got like a name. tobacco smoke. Mm. Yeah, that's one of those jobs that's probably been automated away, isn't it? Blowing smoke up someone's ass. The actual people who did that. Well, you'd you don't, like you to don't think, see that being without done getting too graphic. From what Pierre just described, you'd like to think they use some kind of tool, a tube. They didn't use, they yeah, tube. they didn't just get straight yeah. in there. <laughs> what a straw, <laughs> or whatever. A long straw. <laughs> In just or what if it's an emergency and there's no straw handy? Then you just got to get involved, haven't you? <laughs> anyway, um, so no wonder you were giggling. <laughs> these two, I've got these two giggling. Let's move on to the final thing. In fact, it's good because I'll I'll do most of the talking. Um, this is a this is a tangent. So having gone having spoke spoken about how important it is to do in the wheeze telecom stuff, I'm just going to deviate massively into a Scott Bocchino self indulgent tangent, which is to talk about Fox News. And you're like, hey, Fox. you're all right, Scott. I mean, you know, we, we were with you for a while, Scott. What the, what the fuck? So the reason it, I think it's interesting, and there's a vaguely um, tech industry. Not there's. I'm not going to lie. There's no telecoms direct in, interest in this. But there's a few things that I think are interesting, and you know we've we've only got have we got a hard cut off at all for anyone? No, but just don't drag on too long. Um, um, so Fox Fox News, um, two things have happened with Fox News. Setting the scene, they settled with a, they had a court case with a company called Dominion in the states, which is a vote a sort of vote counting technology company, and you know um, people will probably be aware that um, after the 2020 election, Donald Trump kept going on about how he was ripped off and, and all that, and which is something I don't subscribe to, by the way, in case people are wondering. Um, and one of the, one of the um, theories he and his entourage had was that, that Dominion was somehow complicit. And by the way, Dominion, who's just successfully sued Fox for tons of money, I'm not making any allegations here myself. I'm just trying to repeat what seems to be in the public domain. Uh, that they were somewhere involved in in vote rigging. And anyway, n- that's never been proved, and to the best of everyone's knowledge, they weren't involved. But Fox, which is like in the States, you know, everything's quite partisan. I know we have it here. We've got, like, the Guardian's lefty and the Telegraph's righty, but it's that on steroids in the States, and including their TV, their cable news. So you've got someone like MSNBC, which is, like, openly partisan in favour of, of the Democrat Party. And you've got someone like Fox News, which seems to be openly partisan in favour of the Republican Party. Um, and so they got on, given that Trump was a Republican, they got on people 
making these allegations against Dominion. And I just thought it was all bollocks. I, I thought the case that Dominion was taking against him for defamation or whatever was all bollocks. Because, you know, as a media company, as a, as a journalist, you shouldn't be held liable for who you interview, even if the interviewer is saying defamatory, dodgy stuff. You're just a journalist. You're just going, I mean, presumably there's, you know, for me, there would be some kind of ethical compulsion to push back and go, it sounds like you're talking shit, or at least can you substantiate what you're saying? Yeah. But you shouldn't be held liable just for interviewing people. I mean, there's a massive slippery slope there. In terms of the questions that he was asking. Well, just having someone on. Trouble. So I think there was one of the biggest persons, one of Trump's entourage, I think she's called Sidney Powell. It's a she. They, they like to give women... Sidney Poitier. They like to give women blokes' names in the States or surnames, like Taylor. Um, and and she was spouting all the stuff and she had no evidence and it, it was apparently all bollocks. But anyway, cut long story short, Fox ended up settling with this company, Dominion, to the tune of 800 million bucks, which is a hell of a lot of money, and also set a precedent that, you know, if you get on, if you're a media organisation, obviously I don't compare us to Fox News, you know, we're just little old us, but, you know, it, it, it should apply across the board, regardless of size. If you're a media organisation, let's say you interview someone and they turn out to be saying a bunch of dodgy shit, you still shouldn't be liable for that. No. And you shouldn't have to hand over 800 mil, which I know you'd struggle to dig up. I would. In these, I, don't in have, these, I don't have that much. Anymore. In these inflationary times. Yeah. Um, so, so that was dodgy. And then, and then soon after that, um, Fox News got rid of their best known and most popular anchor. So they have these... They have these news anchors and they have these hourly programs, and each hourly program is headed up by this one figurehead. An anchor. An anchor. Hence which, the film Anchorman. And, and it's sadly not Cockney rhyming slang. Um, but, and, and, their, and their most popular anchor was this bloke called Tucker Carlson, another person with a surname for a first name. Do you know, That's every a time, weird first name. Every time I say that, I do remind myself that my name's Scott. He's got two surnames, surname. Tucker Carlson. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so do I, technically. But Scott doesn't seem like so much of a surname, even though it is. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and they got rid of him, and it was counterintuitive because he was really successful and, you know, had a massive audience and, and, and very popular. Um. And uh, and then some interesting shit started happening. Like, immediately they got rid of him. They didn't make any announcement. They just went, he's not going to be here anymore. And he went quiet. And then suddenly this stuff started leaking and to the press. he's very popular, yeah? Massively. Yeah. Massively polarising, though. Yeah. Um, he's he's not so much right-wing as... I hate to use the word populist. Yeah, he's a bit of a gobshite. And he'll go down rabbit holes. He's a bit more internet-y. He, he's a bit more like Joe Rogan, Russell Brand direction, right. where he'll go down what some people will call conspiracy theories, which actually is a point of semantics I want to address, because I think conspiracy theory conspiracy theories normally use a pejorative. It's a bad thing, yeah? Yeah. But I think, you know, there's a fine line between a conspiracy or a set of circumstances that are legit. Yeah. And a conspiracy theory. Like, one example is something that happened in the States during Trump's time, which is they call Russiagate, which was this assertion by media that were hostile to him that he was basically in hock to Vladimir Putin and the Russians. Yeah. But they, it was never substantiated. And then they had a massive investigation. And this geezer came out and went, That was the whole golden got, shower nothing. stuff, yeah. Yeah, that was part of it, yeah. All that. We, we, we won't elaborate any further on that. No, just let people... Yeah. Use their imaginations there. Um, yeah, and there's a steel dossier and all that. Um, so, but that was never called I, a... Cons- I, I can think of a better one. 
What's that? The whole um, COVID came out of a Chinese lab. Right. Was, so that was, was early on. Did, yeah, yeah. This is a, as, as a conspiracy theory. And then all of a sudden it got taken quite seriously. It's like, maybe totally. I think that's a, that's a brilliant example. Yeah. Um, and while it was called a conspiracy theory, there were people... You know, this is what really interests me about this stuff is just how how the flow of public information gets manipulated by powerful people. And so there will have been interests that would have, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I think part of the reason is probably because there was yank money in this Wuhan lab. Yeah. Um, they just wanted to keep it quiet. That's quite weird, though, isn't it? That there was yeah. US involvement in the Wuhan lab. I oh, never really understood that. I never oh, I do. Into it. I do, because I think there was a law that Obama made. This is really going off on a tangent. Sorry, everyone, but it is the end of the podcast. Um, there was a law that Obama made that said you can't do gain-of-function research in the U- in the US. So right. gain-of-function research, is a, this is a bio- biological thing, is basically manipulating microorganisms such that their characteristics are different. So artificially turning a virus with this pathological profile into one with that pathological profile. And why did profile. he ban that? Because it's fucking dodgy, as we just found out. And sometimes it can leak. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it can leak and fuck the whole world up for two years. So it might as well be far away, although in this case it but, didn't help. But as is so often oh, the that, way... So that was the concern, though, about it, that it would might, well, it might I, create a I pandemic. So. It's the well, same no, way I, that all the, the, the dirty chemical processing of battery, all this stuff is done in China because it's incredibly polluting and yeah, you don't want right. this in your country. So it's... I mean, gain of function... I know that. So the thing about mucking around with microbes, as we discovered, is you only only one needs to get out. One thing, there's lots of things viruses aren't good at. One thing they are good at is replicating. Um, and only one needs to get out and get into and find a, a like a, a foothold in a in a subject in a human subject, and then that human subject acts as a petri dish, and then it gets spread everywhere. Yeah, and that's what happened, I think. Um, anyway. Um, so yes, so the reason that we went to Wuhan is so the people that were banned from doing it in the states they just found a loophole and then went well let's just let's just um, fund this shit going on in Wuhan. That, that, none of this is at concretely proven. Um, and how did we get onto that anyway? But yeah, that was a really good analogy um, about conspiracy theory versus conspiracy yeah. fact or whatever. Um, and so this thing with the menu, yeah, and then they got rid of Tucker Carlson and it all went a bit quiet. It was all a bit weird and no one was sure why it had happened. But it seemed counterintuitive because it seemed like a self-owned by Fox News, um, especially since I think provably immediately. You know, he was in the 8 o'clock slot, which I think is the prime slot for cable news in the States or maybe for telly in general. Maybe that's when everyone's watching after dinner. Yeah. Um, and um, anyway, and their eight o'clock slot went down the toilet because they just filled it with like super subs. Yep. Um, and, and at the same time, these these little things kept getting leaked to the media, especially through a organisation called Media Matters, which in my story I described as partisan and hyperlinked to um, who did I hyperlink to uh, a, a website called All Sides, which which rates media according to bias. And, and is transparent in its methodology. And anyway, basically, it rates Media Matters as very biased to the left, whatever left and right means. But let's say if, you know, if left is Democrat or MSNBC and right is Republican and Fox News, it's very left. So it's hostile to people like Tucker Carlson, yeah. instinctively. And Media Matters suddenly just started getting all these videos, which were 
which were basically him between, you know, it's like we were joking just before we started, we were talking a bit of shit when Pierre had already started recording and just thinking about the amount of incriminating dirt he has. If you think I talk shit on this podcast, you hear what I say before we start recording? Um, One of these days he's going to put all pub. that stuff in. Yeah, exactly. Well, he, well he's, he's, got, he's got a dossier. Don't yeah. worry, I'm expecting the blackmail at some stage. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, when, he, when he's looking to buy a bigger house or something, he goes, Scott, you know, you shouldn't have said that shit, man. <laughs> but I can keep it quiet. Anyway, um, and so they found little bits and bobs like that, none of which was that bad. You know, one time I think he called some woman tasty. You know, it's a little bit mildly sexist, but not. Yeah, it's not the worst thing ever. No Sorry. bloke's ever said that before, by the way. Um, and, uh, and then a few other little bits and bobs, but... What what it really was, you know, it's obviously not a coincidence that all this dirt suddenly found its way into the public domain the moment he left. Yeah. And so while while there's no proof, it seems a fair assumption that it emanated from Fox News. And certainly there's there's an ex Fox anchor, a very successful woman called Megan Kelly, and I listened to her podcast, and she's certainly convinced of that. Right. She knows fuck a lot more about this than I am, although she might be biased. She got in some way. good podcast. Excellent. It's really good. I mean, you got to be into. You've got to be into Yank Current Affairs, I think, to find her podcast interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I am. Would she be perceived to be on the sort of right wing of the... I think she'd be perceived to probably be biased in favour of Tucker Carlson because they, they were colleagues yeah. and she likes yeah. him. Yeah. And I think she'd probably be perceived to be right, but she's not mega. You know, I'd call yeah. her centre-right, probably. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, part of the polarisation of political culture is, is some... Is she mega, though? No. Well, she, there was a whole film about her. She was actually victimised by Donald Trump. Oh, right. And called like a bimbo and stuff. I haven't seen the film, but she was, I think she was played by Charlize Theron or... or right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been aware of that Yeah, film. yeah. I watched it, but... So it's huge. I mean, I think you'd have to be American um, to understand it better because I never, I was never aware of Megyn Kelly when she was on Fox News. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, if she'd been on BBC or ITV or, or Sky News, I probably would have been. Yeah. Um, but she was a big deal, and then and then Trump really got in her face because she, she, I think she did one or two interviews with him where she gave him a hard time, and he did his Trump thing of just like, "Shut up, silly woman." That's a famous <laughs> quote of his. Wow, yeah, that, that was I quite think, good. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was referring to uh, Stormy Daniels. Um, you know, so he says these uh, he says these things, and he had a massive go at her. But Megan Kelly, fair play to her, she's got quite thick skin, and she just sort of dealt with it. But anyway, so she's she's opined about this, and I listened to her podcast. Brilliant name, Stormy Daniels, by the way. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Sounds like a cocktail. Yeah. Um, it sounds like a cocktail where instead of, it sounds like a um, X Men, like a, no, a dark and stormy where you use Jack Daniels instead of rum. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, so back to back to my thing, which is in itself a tangent. So going back a tangent. So your point is? Uh, my point is that then um, Tucker Carlson stayed quiet while all this sort of public sort of um, rubbishing of his reputation has been going on until earlier on this week, on two days ago, where he sent out a tweet saying, we're back and featuring a two and a half minute long video thing. And he's got this thing about how the media's out to tell you bullshit, but I won't. I'm the only person who knows the truth. You know, which obviously you've got to take the fucking pinch of salt. And if anyone says it, Tucker Carlson says it, <coughs> whatever. Um, BBC says it. Um, oh, shit, we forgot. That was a tangent we forgot in the earlier thing about 3G cutoff. 
We have so many oh, tangents. Yeah, we, we never mentioned our... 3G cutoff. Uh, we'll have to do that on another one. Yeah, we will. Um, and but, but so, so the interesting thing about what he's doing is he's he's inferred in this video that he's going to start up again. Everyone figured he'd do his own thing. He's got a massive portable audience, and there's you know an interesting in the weeds thing about media. This is the way things are going. Is big companies like BBC, ITV, Sky, Fox, CNN, whatever, are increasingly losing market share to just people going it alone because the internet in its current manifestation yeah. really facilitates that, whether it's whether it's through um, written publication platforms like Substack or alternative video platforms to YouTube like Rumble. It, increasingly, there are places where people can go who might have some batshit views um, and just go and do it. And I'm personally, in the, to that to that extent, a free speech absolutist. Alex Jones should be allowed to say crazy Alex Jones shit. Um, and then other people should be allowed to point out when it is wrong, why it's wrong. Yeah. You know, I think he, I think he got sued to the tune of about a trillion dollars, something ridiculous, billions of dollars for um, for saying some out of order stuff that I won't get into. In case I get some of that suing action, do you think there's a concern, you know, about with all these all these sort of crazy voices? You know, we used to come from a world where, you know, everything was everything came to you from the BBC, and in the yeah. in the US it was Walter Approved. Cronkite, yeah, whatever, that's you know, and. Um, you know, we grew up in households where there's three channels on Nine TV news. and you get yeah. three newspapers and and it's all very establishment, but you're probably getting a considered opinion and it's it's, curated. it's the Western view of things yeah. rather than the Chinese view and it's curated, but it's probably trustworthy. But do you think there's a danger um, just to be sort of yeah, totally and push back on the free speech stuff that if it becomes too fragmented and we get too many of these crazy voices in there not to mention apparently like someone was I read something this week from Media Atlantic saying that generative AI is already like responsible for a yeah. huge amount of the stuff you're reading and, well that's um, another issue yeah. but that's a good point and I'm just wondering like you know youngsters today trying to na navigate their way through all this well not just youngsters anybody trying to navigate their way through all this and make sense of the world it's becoming quite confusing to yeah. know what to trust and what not to and whereas we used to say oh, we trust the BBC to give us a considered view and I kind of still do in a way I'm, I'm not a massive fan of the BBC but I still do read one thing I do if, is go to BBC's news every yeah, yeah. day, actually. I get my main updates just from looking at their website on, the, on my phone. And I think they aspire yeah. to be objective. I think they are slightly biased towards, if not the political, then the cultural left, well, however that however we can define that. But yeah, I think, I think they try tricky, to be... It's a tricky debate, yeah. this one, about how we how we kind of get the... So, how much you need to get a balance right, if that's an aspiration. Well, but it, but it's so that's a good point. So I've sort of addressed one part of that by saying I'm a bit of a free speech absolutist. And I don't think... I'm just not comfortable with the concept of a chief censor, of there being some absolute authority on what is kosher and what isn't. Yeah. However, I think your point about... You know, just the sheer amount of incoming information and viewpoints and claimed truth that you got from all directions is a real issue. I would like, I would like media literacy to be taught in schools. In fact, that's the sort of thing I'd love to be doing because I, I did actually was a teacher in a previous life for a couple of years. Yeah, just teaching kids just how to be constructively sceptical. Okay, so you've just heard something from a source. You know, you've just heard Joe Rogan say that ivermectin might be an effective um, prophylactic for coronavirus. 
do you just take it as face value because he's Joe Rogan? No. But it's so easy. It's but, This is why it's media literacy, because it's what we do. There Whenever, are some people do this. But, um, they do, well, yeah, well, but that's what I'm leading up to. Just, just let me quickly finish this. Um, what we do as a matter of our jobs, you know, if you're writing a story, you, I presume, unless it's just pure opinion... Um, if you're making any assertion, you will just do a bit of light Googling, make yeah, sure you're not talking shit. And we all have that as just part of our, part of the discipline of being a journalist. What I'd like to do is teach regular people just that. It's, you only need about five minutes worth of Googling before you assume that something you've heard from one source is verifiable fact. That's all. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the sentiment. I'm just wondering if... I mean, what I really want, I suppose, is both worlds. I want this diversity of voices, but I also want the the kind of establishment media that's that's there that we've always, you know, that we've always got used to, or our generation's got used to, not to disappear. It would worry me if we had this cacophony yeah, of voices and you didn't have the likes of the, the BBC, some kind of hierarchy. you didn't have the Telegraph, you didn't have the yeah. Guardian, you didn't have I'm these institutions you. that, because I, you know, I... But I don't think it's either or. No, it's not. But I, I, I'd like to think of myself as somebody with hopefully above average intelligence, and I, I find it sometimes hard Careful. to, I don't know, maybe not. But you know, <laughs> but, I've, but if I, if I was left in a world where I've just got like people like Substack people with opinions and other people with conspiracy theories or facts, maybe even to put forward, and I don't have anything to assess it against, like the BBC or the FT or whatever it might be, I'd, I'd find it very confusing, yeah. you know. It'd be, no, it'd be culture is getting place silent. To be in and, totally, yeah, totally. Yeah, it is. And, and obviously a, a media literate person would maybe subscribe to one or two substacks like Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss or whatever. Yeah. Maybe listen to Glenn Greenwald and, and Russell Brand and Joe Rogan, but also read the Times and the FT yeah. And all that sort of thing, but that but that's incredibly labour intensive. It is doing all that yeah, shit. Yeah, it's hard. Um, you know, there's there's some argument, there's some power in there's publications like the Week for people who can't be asked to read the papers, and they can just get this but the, but, version. The, but this is the the but appeal of curation of, of the Week, there. or even just the BBC or something. It just becomes yeah. a convenience thing. I mean, I I don't spend anywhere near as as much time as you do. I suspect reading around the and listening to or podcasts listening to and these and reading around podcasts. because I. A lot of my reading tends to be books, and then when I am trying to pick up on news, I just I just tend to go with. Yeah, as I say, I'm not a massive fan of the BBC in terms of its broadcast output and its programming, but I do quite like the website. I, do, I like it as just a. It's a starting. It's point. just it's just straight news, and it's, it's a starting a, point. It's a great starting point. You, you assume and, that. Yeah. That I look at it in the morning. You know, I probably shouldn't do it. It's, it's bad practice to look at your phone as soon as you get up. Well, I do that. But I, I do that. And, and I'll look at BBC Sport. Much. I'll look yeah. at BBC News. I might look at other free ones like The Guardian. Yep. Um, and just get a sense of what everyone's banging on about. Yeah. And I'll look at headlines in the Telegraph or the FT. You can't always read them, I know. But I, I, I look at the headlines and, and it's like... And they're normally yeah, banging on but, about the same shit, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but then it's like, that's my that's my view from institutions that have been around for a long then, time that try and think about this and be try to be objective. Even but then the media literate person but, is, they'll see the BBC's gone with a big thing that, let's say it happened during the coronation, which was last weekend, um, that some people, some Republican protesters got arrested. Yeah. And you might think, well, why shouldn't they fucking be able to protest? But But then you'll go off on Google and then choose to drill down into that one particular thing and that's all we can do we, we, yeah yeah there's only so many hours in the day yeah and and it's somewhat determined by your own predilections and your own interests you might not give a shit about the coronation i didn't really no i didn't, I didn't but i do care about freedom of speech and i think people getting arrested 
for protesting it. And I'm not anti-monarchy. I'm fairly indifferent about it. In fact, I would say if on the whole um, it can be proven that the royal family uh, results in, in greater national income through tourism than it costs us through taxpayer support, then fuck I it. I think that's probably fairly easy to prove, but right, some, well then, someone, someone will have done that Then that will do me. That, yeah. That's good enough for me. Yeah. As long as I'm not forced, you know, I mean, like my daughter, bless her, she got freaked out when the Queen died because she thought her money wasn't going to be worth any anything anymore. <laughs> She's got a picture of the Queen on it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I guess they're kind of ubiquitous in, in UK society, but I think they're fairly benign. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I just think that they're living museum pieces, basically. Yeah, exactly. And if we, that we, means we that spend money on museums, why not spend that money mean, on this? means people come over here rather than Paris yeah. or and Paris, then, then... Yeah. If they actually had any real power, I, I know I know, I know. know theoretically they could declare wars and do stuff, yeah, yeah. but they're never going to do it. And yeah. everybody knows that because we just go, no, you're not getting away with it. So it's, it's no, a silly it's argument. Happen. And, they, and they theoretically yeah. sign off laws, but I don't think there's ever a time where yeah. the Queen or, or, they or the King now yeah. just go, no, nah, a bollocks law. Well, because if they did, that would be it for them. That's <laughs> game over. I know the only reason we've still got a royal family and the French haven't is that our royal family managed to stay the right side of the fucking guillotine. Yeah. Just about. Um, but um, how do we get onto that? What were we God talking knows. about? Free speech. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll wrap up from here because I think we're coming up to two hours anyway, mm. uh, which I'm always trying to get. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I mean, keep failing. I, I blame myself. Um, so, yes. So I think I think we can agree that a plurality of sources are important, but then we also need help, sort of um, corralling them, sort of making sense of them, and and all that. Anyway, so that comes back to the the main justification I had for writing up this Tucker Carlson thing was that he did this thing on Twitter, and it sounds like he's actually going to do his own thing, which I fully approve of. Um. And even if it means he might go off on some wacky tangents, like he goes on about Kennedy's assassination, and and he's uh, and he's got some very entrenched views about all sorts of stuff, but he's going to do it primarily on Twitter. And to me, as far as I know, that sets a precedent. So Twitter is has been primarily a distribution. So like you know, like with the podcast, we'll publish first and foremost on telecoms.com, and then Pierre will share it on Twitter after it's published. So it's a distribution mechanism. To consume major media primarily on Twitter will set a new precedent, I think. And one I'm in favour of, because yeah. I'm all in favour of Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter because of his rhetoric around freedom of speech. And he's been he's he's not been flawless in that way. He's kicked some people off for arbitrary, borderline despotic reasons just because they pissed him off. Yeah. But that's what you get with billionaires, isn't it? It is. Um However, I think the net effect of him owning Twitter has been for an increase in freedom of speech, an increase in certain people who are chucked off for, I think, fringe suspect reasons being let on. And I'd rather Twitter was this cesspit of randos all just chucking bombs over the garden fence at each other than it was this sort of sanitised, no, we've decided what's allowed and what isn't. Because my biggest thing, and this is my biggest thing about um, freedom of speech and, and censorship on the whole, maybe I'll... I'll finish off on this unless you've got anything last that you want to say. The ultimate question anyone's got to ask themselves about any top-down rule, in this case I'm talking about censorship, is who decides? The question is who decides? So you can go, well, we need censorship so bad shit doesn't come out. Okay, who decides what is bad shit? So what you ultimately have is a trade-off between bad shit being allowed or there being this overarching top-down power that determines what's allowed. 
And so it's a lesser of two evils. I, I'm not saying that some people say some really horrible stuff. And there is obviously legal protection for some things that are provably defamatory and all that sort of thing. Um, but better... Incitement to violence. Yeah. Incitement to violence. Yeah, that's another one. You know, we got the whole sort of shouting fire in a crowded theatre and all that sort of thing. Um, but I would say better still that a few bad things are allowed to be said than we give someone, and it'll ultimately come down to an individual, whether it's a prime minister or the head of a media organisation or the head of Ofcom or whatever, the power to be the, the sole arbiter of what's allowable and what isn't, because they're still a human being. They're still not only flawed and subjective, but also subject to unique incentives and, and motivations. And I just think it's better to, to just be laissez-faire and let it run wild. And yeah, there's going to be some bad shit and you've got to accept that. But, but it's still better that than, than this sort of um, top-down rule, is my view. And so I'm happy with the direction that media's going in. And Tucker Carlson, you know, I make no comment about him one way or the other. I don't regularly listen to him, his stuff. It's mainly Yank-focused anyway. Um, but if he's going on Twitter, and that means that Twitter, which Elon Musk seems to be determined, will be a free speech platform, i.e. more in line with what I would like rather than how it was before, where these sort of shadowy people in the in the, um, behind the scenes at Twitter would decide that you can't say this and you can't say that and you can't say the other, and it seemed to be arbitrary. Yeah. Um, then I think that's a real positive, and I hope that other people will follow, and, and I hope that Twitter will become a primary broadcasting platform um, because every, everyone can get on Twitter. There's no paywalls. Yeah. Um, and then they can make their own mind. And, and the other point about Twitter, and Elon Musk said this actually. Um, when someone uh, someone pushed back on how Tucker Carlson says some fairly biased shit himself, they went, they went Elon Musk said um, in a tweet himself, on this platform, unlike the one-way street of broadcast, people are able to interact, critique, and refute whatever he, in this case, Tucker Carlson, or anyone may say. And of course, anything misleading will get at community notes. So he set up this thing where individuals can fact-check um, and yeah, and so Tucker Carlson go off on one and say Kennedy was assassinated by aliens, and then other people can go on Twitter and go, "No, you're talking shit, son." And here's some evidence. The point is, it's, it's this it's this public marketplace of information. No one, no one has a monopoly. No one knows the absolute truth. Maybe maybe some mathematicians and physicists can prove through an equation an absolute truth. But apart from that, even in biology, as we discovered in the last few years, there are very few absolute truths. So just let it yeah. be out there. Let it be this mess. But back to your point, I think you're completely right. I think people could do with a lot more education and help in how to navigate this mess. Yeah. And that's something I'd love. I'd love the opportunity to teach younger people. Or that I don't even know if I've done a great job of this with my own kids. So how well qualified I am is another matter. But just teach them basic media literacy. Basic, you know, maybe even use more than one search engine as well. Don't just use Google. Use Google and then also use DuckDuckGo or Brave or something like that. Yeah. And just go, someone's made an assertion. Before you then go and reshare it on social media or do a TikTok about it or tell your mates about it, or, or decide to dig in and have an entrenched opinion on it. Just have a little read around, see what everyone else is saying. You're probably not going to come up with it. The problem is people are looking for an absolute satisfactory, this is right, this is wrong, black and white binary thing. You're not going to find that. And if people can be educated to just realise it's all about nuance and grey areas, and, and I think it's something we do, on the, this is why I'm such a big fan of podcasting, is, you know, over the course of two hours, 
we'll thrash stuff out. And, and we've rarely come to any concrete conclusions. But what we have done is spent on each segment half an hour, an hour, <coughs> yeah. just chucking back ideas backwards and forwards. And I think we're, and hopefully our audience are, are sort of better educated as a consequence. Anyway, I'll stop gibbering now. So, um, yeah, so that's it. Probably that's it for a couple of weeks, unless these two suddenly decide that rather than dealing with their jet lag, they really want to come into the studio. And no pressure from me. Um, we'll let but, you know. But have a good one at a Big 5G and say hello to Joe Rogan from me. We've definitely got to go out and eat some uh, barbecue. Yeah. yeah, have some brisket. I'm, I'm depending on you to guide us to the right place for that. Basically, yeah, Pierre's, Pierre. He's that, good, he's good that's on that one front. of his. That's one of his secondary roles when you're on tour <laughs> is finding nice places to eat. Um, so yeah, I'll leave it there. Thanks a lot for listening, and make sure you join us for the next one. Hold up. 